house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. with Dr. Sherman? I've been trying to. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one signed your cast. Now we can both pretend we have friends. I'm sorry about my brother. Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? I wish everything was different. I wish I was part of something. I wish that anything I said mattered. Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Wait, I really, I need that back. You could fall and no one would hear. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that would absolutely dump our mean old racist wife at the airport for Judy Dench. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my sentimental orchard, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Not only am I a sentimental orchard, I am a Kickstarter orchard. I am a charity orchard. Do they describe it as an orange orchard, though? Isn't that a not the term for Isn't a, a, orchards, a field? Orchards, I thought, were exclusively apples. Apples, right. But I think they mentioned that it's... on a vine. There are also well, quite famously cherry orchards. Well, there are quite <laughs> cherry orchards. But like, oranges <laughs> come in a grove, I was pretty but no, sure. no, I, I think they just say orchard. Okay. I, also, I, I just said that oranges grow on a vine. They do not. They sure don't. It's also not true. <laughs> I don't think it's relevant, but I do have a lot of questions about the orchard that are okay, not relevant good. We'll at get, all we'll to get this into podcast. It. I want to get into it. I mean, it. this is this basically is my version it. of uh, I am a horticulturist. This is me being Virginia Madsen <laughs> and Sideways talking about how when the orchards peak, um, right? Taste so fucking good, right? Uh, nothing about that orchard made sense in this one. Thing. I'm glad we're going to nope. be getting into it. We've got a whole discussion about it, and we are going to. Uh, Chris, we're going to be talking about it with a special guest who is here to talk about our our breakthrough 2021 movie. We are breaking the seal on the films of 2021. Now that we are, as this episode airs, one day past the Oscars, we can now go back uh, to the year prior and start picking through the detritus of the films of 2021. And to kick it off, as we have promised, we're talking about Dear Evan Hansen and there was only one person who would allow me to talk about Dear Evan Hansen on this podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> in his presence, my dear good friend, co-host of the Muppeturgy podcast and member services director at the National Alliance for Musical Theater. So he knows what he's talking about. Adam Grossworth, welcome to This Head Oscar Buzz. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be in the orchard. Yes. <laughs> Okay, right. so about this orchard, it looks like people are having picnics on tables there. Is it a restaurant? Is it a brewery? Did they open an orchard for him and turn it into a brew pub? Like, Okay, so it's like a park. Right. Here are my questions. Yes. And and uh, let me just put my cards on the table up front that, that I, I I think I like this property better than than you guys do probably yes i, I suspect I, ha- I have um, complicated feelings about it we'll get into I, I do too i mean i have i will definitely nitpick the fuck out of it uh here um 
but I also have a lot of questions about this movie. And seeing things doesn't help. Like on stage, you don't see a no, lot of things that no. you are forced to see in a right. movie. So it's an orchard, and then like the idea is that it's sort of like gone to seed. Right? They 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 used to go there when when the kids were little, right? And it has now gone to seed, and so they're raising money to like rehab it and turn it into this memorial p- park. Yeah, memorial sure. brew pub. Right, but then somehow it has to be believable that there is a tree tall enough and sturdy enough for Evan and Connor to have climbed and Evan to have fallen out of and broken his arm. Yes. And then they raise the money to to do the thing, but then like who's maintaining the orchard? Did they also found a nonprofit to like this open is, and it's, run it's the an orchard? Incredibly a Michelin com- star like, chef. Right, like to to open what I cuz they talk about how Oh, well, the park is closed, has been closed for a while, but the paths are still open or whatever. And it's like, so something. That's not how parks work. <laughs> right. That's not how parks work. Like, I don't, like, was there, like, a central, like, like, um, visitor center or, like, something that is not partic- currently open? But, like. It sounds like a property where people go to drop math. Um, well, <laughs> honestly. But the other thing that kind of drives me, and, like, this is a problem, I think, in the overall story and the, the, sort of loosey-goosiness of the story that I think got it into more trouble than maybe it deserved to get into, which is the degree to which Evan is a liar is inconsistently presented, where it's like, you have this entire elaborate lie that kind of hinges on you this one magical day in this orchard that you spent with your imaginary or whatever like not imaginary friend but like uh, this guy who wasn't really your friend and that at no point during this whole period of like shining on this deception did you go to visit this orchard to like get a better sense of this place that you were lying about this entire time and maybe like to better like paper over your the inconsistencies in your cover story like the fact that he doesn't go to the orchard until the very end is like very sweet thematically i suppose but like also it's like come on dude like you know I don't know. Right. Do you, Joe? Are you saying that this uh, has story problems? <laughs> are you saying that at problems. any time, if any character asked a question, there might be well, uh, some well, different things that happen? Yeah, and like this is like I, I will. <laughs> So we're so far ahead of ourselves already, but like, oh, this you is know, to, uh, welcome to this head Oscar Buzz. I know I'm, I'm, we're I'm, so I'm, far I'm, ahead of ourselves. I'm a listener. I'm well aware. It's uh, literally I, like stepping onto a treadmill. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so ready. Treadmill, I mean. yeah. I'm so ready. Uh, you know, and, uh, in that. You know, to defend it a little bit, like in that in that scene, that first scene where he has dinner with the Murphys, he is sort of accidentally, I think, like a like a psychic doing a cold reading, right? Where yeah. you know Amy Adams is like, "Oh, the orchard." Oh, one hundred percent. All he says, all he says is tree. He's and very she's Sylvia like, Brown in that way. Yes, yes, yes. Right, yeah, yeah. and and so like they give him a lot to work with, and they want to believe him. So I, yeah. I, I buy it up to a point. It's more like, why do they believe him? Why does does um. Why does Zoe believe him? Yeah, because like she is, she should not be credulous of any. She of this. should be the cynical one. She's she's presented as the cynical one, uh, right? And, um, yeah, yeah. So, and but also just like on a practical level of like the orchard doesn't actually make any sense. Like in in real life, like it's not that they would believe him. I buy that. Sure, but it's just in a in a stage to screen adaptation. Um, allow me to compare Dear Evan Hansen to Phantom of the Opera. Oh, um, <laughs> please do. <laughs> Where like on stage, there's actually not very much stuff, right? Right, like candelabras Evans, as far as the Evans, eye can see. Yeah, and and like you, you know, the the stage floor is shiny. It's the same the same stage. Now this is Phantom, not Dear Phantom. The stage floor is shiny. It's the same stage floor that we see the entire time. Mm-hmm. But you throw a boat and some fog on it, and you believe it's a lake. Yes, right. Yes, like that's all you need to do. Magic of theater. And then suddenly Joel Schumacher is tasked with creating an actual lake, right. and it's a problem. Right. 
sort of the same thing in Dear Evan Hansen, weirdly. Like, Evan's bedroom is a bed on a pallet and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And and there are no other people in school, right? There are those four characters. Right. And, and you don't have to think about the fact that he has no other friends because there are no other people. Yes. And it's real weird when there are all these people who he supposedly has known his entire life and none of them speak to him even a little tiny bit. Like, it's just weird. And it's the same with the orchard, where it's like, you don't have to see it. You don't have to think about it. And then you see it. It's like, wait, they're all saplings. What? Where's the tree they supposedly climbed? Like, (laughs) why did nobody question that? It's really a problem. There's the... uh, My my feelings on this, both the the musical and the movie, um, are exist somewhere in a middle space. I'm definitely lower on the movie than the musical but even walking out of the musical i was like very mixed but i tended to be mixed in a different way from like the 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 popular sort of negative critique of this was very much rooted in um evan hansen's a sociopath he's a he's a you know he's a destructive liar he's a manipulator he's you know this this very sort of like dark view of evan hansen and i'm like yeah i couldn't quite get past the sitcominess of the premise, which relies so much on um, misunderstanding and these very sort of like threes company esque, like uh, you know, misdirections, and and it's like yeah, like Evan Hansen is a villain, kind of in the same way that like a Growing Pains plot sometimes puts like Mike Seaver as a villain or like Zach Morris, you know that like internet video where like Zach Morris is a is a monster kind of a thing. It's just like, yeah, like, yes, if you like, you know, but I think part of the problem and the thing that, that pushes people to read it that way is the musical in its bones does try to have it both ways, does try Mm, to have it where it's this sort of um, confluence of events that, that kind of insulates or at least attempts to insulate the Evan Hansen character from too much blame because otherwise you wouldn't be able to be on his side by the end, while also trying to be this, like... The movie uh, really adds some stuff to try to make sure that you do not. Well, mm-hmm. uh, but but while at the same time being like, this is a movie about how teens are disaffected and, you know, people commit suicide and people feel isolated and alone, and we're going to add in a new song about how people have, you know, how teens have problems that nobody else knows about and all this sort of thing. And by trying to have it both ways at the same time, while also having this very sort of like Pasek and Paul pop uplift does not like it's, it's, it's an untenable amalgam in a lot of ways where it's just sort of, it, it, it almost ensures that at least a small portion and it was a larger portion than they wanted of people would react negatively to the show and to the movie in this way. And I think the movie makes a lot of little decisions that really exacerbates this thing where it keeps you from getting wrapped up in the, the good parts of a musical, you know what I mean? Where you can like get, get a sense of this main character's headspace and sympathize with him, even as he's doing objectively bad things. Right. But in a way that like a lot of people do, objectively bad things that they end up regretting, right? I also think, and we'll get into this way later, but like I also think there is something towards the end where it's like we maybe don't aren't as down with the concept of forgiveness in general as a culture as we were maybe 10, 15 years ago. Like we do not feel like forgiving people anymore. And maybe that's a broader cultural problem, but we can maybe talk about that later. I don't know. Yeah. I saw it again on stage uh this past spring. Yeah. 
after I'd seen the movie for the first time and sort of, and also after all of the discourse, because I had seen it <laughs> yeah. very early in its run, um, with a whole different cast. And uh, it, it was really different with, um, and this is not to shade Ben Platt, though I will later. Yes, yeah, same. Um, but, you know, I really liked him on stage you know, in whatever, 2016. And, um, but seeing uh, an entire cast uh, who was doing less yeah, <laughs> they were just they were just not as doing as, as much. you almost would have to. There's <laughs> probably yeah. no way I, to do more. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I walked out of it uh, off Broadway and texted you. Ben Platt's going to win the Tony for most acting. Yeah, um, and they just were you know they were just were not trying. And they were they were great. Like this is not this is not an insult. They were just not trying as hard. They yeah. were not you know they were in a show at the end of its run. They were not up for any sure. awards, and they were right. they were fully in it. Yeah, and they were giving lovely performances, but they were just like actors doing their jobs mm-hmm. with very little pressure, which was actually really nice to watch. Sure, and also uh, an Evan who I think was actually is actually like twenty seven, twenty eight. He's the same age Ben Platt is, but he was like just he's a very small yeah person. Oh, the casting of the him. Evan Hansons as it went down the line is like yeah skinnier and slighter like as it goes down the line. and like Andrew Ross Feldman who they who was an actual. Teenager who yeah. like they I mean they actually cast somebody straight out of high school who was not the who I just saw. The current tour is Evan Hansen is played by a literal feather. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, to see a more believable teenager is, I think really, and we will definitely talk about Ben Platt in this movie. But like I think it really makes a difference. It does because I would imagine part, it does part of it. Like he is a child. Yes, he is a he is a. A, a, yeah. a child with some level of an anxiety disorder, and I right. think that really matters to what he does and why he does it. A child who hasn't put... really like experienced the kind of sort of social, like he's not socially stunted necessarily, but like in a way that like socially isolated teens at that age, I don't know. They're they well, do weird and shit. I think as a character, like meeting with that family and like they want to believe a certain thing, like that, a pl- that is received by Evan Hansen as a certain type of pressure. Yes. Or like yeah. a pressure to almost like perform. Yeah. So like, why would you want to disappoint what, why these, he these makes adults. that decision and why yeah. he, you know, falls down that um, rabbit trail. I don't, I, I feel like I have a different kind of idea about this show and this movie. And like, I think it's what the text kind of calls to be. And like, people do something different and try to like make it this like uplifting thing. Whereas like, I think Dear Evan Hansen is about toxic positivity culture as like an evil force in the world that make people do bad things. Because like, as much as like Evan, while not grieving, you know, the death of a child, you know, is making these bad decisions like the the people that want to believe whether it's his peers whether it's this family that want to believe this version of events you know they're kind of also chasing this warm cozy thing that ultimately doesn't serve them or like right in the view of uh you know people who are like sharing things online like when his speech for or his song speech whatever you want to call it right. goes viral online it's like oh this is as much as like it's doing good for people there's an element of this that is like evil <laughs> and bad for people and like instilling like bad narratives that are not actually helpful for people and like get people down these paths of but the movie and the show doesn't want to grapple with that. It only grapples yeah. with it to a point. And then it's kind of 
throws up his hand, uh, throws up its hands, and like we'll resolve this on a plot level, but we're probably not going to resolve this on a theme level because on a theme level we want to keep and keep, you know. The keep alive the possibility of a reprise of of you will be found by the end because we really like this song that we wrote. There's watching it again, and not to get into like generational discourse because like whatever, but like there is a there is a read on this that is very like Gen X or Heather's is what happens when Gen X tells this story, and Dear Evan Hansen is what happens when millennials tell this story, and like it's. Uh, it's not entirely true, but like I don't think it's entirely not true. We're like Heather's there's true-ish. Heather's talks about teen suicide and the way that it sort of gets cynically packaged as a hit song and you know a you know messages of of you know hope and whatever in a way that doesn't ever really grapple with the actual people uh, at the center of it. And like Dear Evan Hansen covers a lot of the same ground, but they walk up to that edge and where Heather's is like, and now we'll turn it into a story about how, you know, a murderous bad actor can infiltrate this kind of uh, environment and really fuck shit up. And in Dear Evan Hansen, they're like, you know what, maybe we'll just like, you know, keep the good vibes and, you know, resolve the bad vibes as quickly as possible. I mean, maybe, maybe Dear Evan Hansen doesn't complete the thought, you know, because there is a certain element of like, look at this troubled kid. He, we're going to turn him into a mascot because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Like, and I do think that that is there in the material, but maybe it's not, you know, the top note. It's the you right. know, thing that kind of undercuts everything. And that's the thing that I think is actually interesting about it as a show. But I think as it became kind of a phenomenon and was really embraced by young people and like perhaps a young fan base that I think doesn't fully get what this show is doing. And they're just kind of taken over by, you know, the fact that it is about teens. It is there's a certain element that is about online life and you know there's mm-hmm. these very poppy songs in it that yeah. like i even think the songs are kind of used in that way in that like you have these very like harrowing serious conversations about grief and suicide and mental health and then you know as the family is kind of being swayed or the public is being swayed by uh you know, Evan as a figure, um, or what story he might be telling, you know, you have this angelic voice and these pop songs coming out, and then that's the thing that's making them have these realizations as characters. That um, Well, this is the Pasek and Paul thing, though, because if you look at something like, and we'll talk about The Greatest Showman, the movie that Adam, you and I did see together. Boy, will we. Um, But, like, what's the big song from The Greatest Showman, right? It's, It's This Is Me, which, on its own, is an empowerment anthem and whatever, say what you will about empowerment anthems. And maybe you like, you find that entire genre empty and fine, but like as an empowerment anthem, it's a successful one, but in the context of the movie, it's an empowerment anthem on behalf of the uh, people that PT Barnum exploited for his own sort of like uh, financial gain. And I think it's similar in Dear Evan Hansen. And like, sometimes it's more successful than others. Whereas a song like for forever um, which I like much better in the stage version than I do uh, as it is the rendered <laughs> here in the movie. Pedestrianly shot in this movie. And spoken sung in a way that I really hate, but we'll go- talk about that too. But like, I think For Forever is a really beautiful song that ultimately is, you know, it, it, on its own, is a story about somebody sort of painting the picture of 
what it would like to have, what it would be like to have a close friend or to have a friend and how much they sort of long for that. And it's like really beautiful. And then in the context of Dear Evan Hansen, it's like all of that, but it is also like the fabrication of a lie as you're telling the story, right? He's like spinning this tale. And I think that is more successful than something like uh, You Will Be Found, which is also a song I can only listen to You Will Be Found in isolation. I can't listen to it in context, in the context of the show or the movie, because there the incongruity is too much, where the 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 cynicism that you need to have, where it was like this, these, this song that is full of really empty platitudes about... Uh, you know, uplift and whatever is then in, you know, uh, intercut with these like social media, like, did, you know, did you see this and this like, video and that? Yeah. Repost. Right. And so, and that, the, and it's a half measure to me, right? It doesn't fully in, interrogate that the whole way, but the song then becomes, it needs to become a self critique and it doesn't quite make it there within the context of the movie or in the show. But outside of the context of that, like Pasek and Paul can write a goddamn song so I can watch like Cynthia Erivo on, on YouTube, like belt the fuck out of that song and it rules. But like within the context of this show, I can't deal with it right. at all. This it is, needs like an ironic reprise. Well, yes. like my, my, maybe like my thread on this show is that like, you need someone to direct this show that hates the songs. Maybe maybe <laughs> for it to like get the, that point across because like, I do actually think in context, it kind of, you maybe need to be like led through each points of this thought for it to work in a way yeah. that like, it doesn't work in the movie, but like you have, this kid who it, who has communication issues and like he's going off of the cuff so what does he say he says these kind of words salad mm-hmm. positivity thoughts that like don't really mean anything on their own but like he's being sincere in the moment as a bad communicator and then it becomes this whole platitude when it really <laughs> is platitude not. sorry Plat- <laughs> platitude Ben Platitude, yes. Gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Fine, um, shut up. <laughs> I, I like, repost. Uh, what if I did that the whole episode? Anytime I agree with one of you, I'm going to Joe made a pun. Repost. You won't believe what happened next. <laughs> I, you know, I think part of the issue is that that song fully understandably and i should i'm gonna have like a million disclosures through this episode like the lead producer of david hansen uh is somebody i know a little bit who like has donated money to the company i work for but has not in a very long time so i feel comfortable <laughs> so um, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> so give Repost. us money, Stacey. You made a lot of it off of Darren Hansen. Um, no, but I mean, I think I, mean, I think she's brilliant, right? She took this little show and made it into like a huge thing, and so good for her. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, you know, marketing a Broadway musical is not easy, and I think it made a lot of sense to use "You Will Be Found" as a marketing tagline and a hashtag. Um, but I also think it's really misleading because mm-hmm. it does make it sound like the show is this uplifting thing, and then the song did its own thing, and you know, had all these performances, at, you know talk shows and Cynthia Revo and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But yeah, in context, it is a lie and it is a little bit ironic. It's actually one of the sequences in the movie I like. It's one of the only ones I think is well directed because you because you do get to see the other people. Yeah. And like, you know, people start out filming him because he's bombing. Yeah. 
which makes sense. Like, that's why other high schoolers would start filming him to make fun of him. And then it turns into something else. And you see, I I did write it down, his best friend died. You won't believe what he did next. Like, you see that fake Upworthy headline, which... The, the first time I watched this movie, it was on a plane, and I like burst out laughing, and like people looked at me. And then watching it this time, I was like, "Wait, is it supposed to be funny?" Like I thought it was satire, and now I'm not sure. Right. Um, but I hope it. Like I hope it was supposed to be satire. Like that 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 particular shot of that screen. When you have a shot of Amy Adams staring into a rose gold macbook and saying like four hundred and seventeen thousand views like it feels like satire right and i think that that sequence at least is and uh you know and then also i'm just like well he knocked the mic over and he didn't pick it up again and he's mumbling nobody can hear him in that auditorium like that bugged the shit out of me but that's just me being a pedant (laughs) yeah um and it's also you know like musicals are really manipulative so like and that's what i love about them like that's that's in my world that's praise so like you can understand that he is lying in this moment and it's kind of icky, but also be moved by the song. And I think that's kind of the point and, and why I like it. Um, but it's also weird because like, if it were just a speech, it would never go viral. It only goes viral if it's a song. Okay. So this is one of my things too. This is back to like you talking about on the show, you just see his bed, but in the movie you have to have a whole room in some ways. Film is a much more literal art form and it creates a lot of problems. Case in point, his speech that is a song, but is it a speech or a song is it it goes viral because it, like you just said, because it's a song and it, 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 it does kind of break not. the time continuum, time space continuum of your brain in terms of like we're watching a musical. We understand that we're living in a world where people break into song. But yeah. then when you're breaking bringing in elements of the real physical world, but you're blending the real world where people don't break into song and the fake world where people do break into song, it it just seems silly. It's like if, right. if, I, if Mary Sunshine's article about Roxy Hart included the fact that like, and her lawyer was like puppeteering the entire, the entire <laughs> room and it was crazy. Right. And like, I almost never have a problem with that. Like I am, I am here for musicals being staged very literally and realistically, if it's the right, sure. style, like, right. I mean, you know, Chicago shouldn't be 42nd street shouldn't be, but like, yeah, this is a musical that should be staged fairly literally until you get to this and it just breaks it because like if you turned you'll be found into just a speech there's no way right there's no way that it goes viral right and and i don't think we're meant to believe that it is a song in any context right of anything right um unlike like in the prom actually uh which is a, sort of a better movie i think um hot take uh, I would well, agree. Like it's a better constructed movie, <laughs> yeah. at least. Um, the musical sequences work in that movie. Yeah, they don't right. exist. And yeah. and actually, in that movie, her thing that goes viral is a song. Like even though it's a right. musical right. where the other songs are not songs, right. in the world of that movie, she is singing a song. Right. It's like she plays her guitar, and and it makes more sense. She literally is a a teenager who already has a YouTube channel where she's doing like acoustic covers of right. you mm-hmm. know pop songs. Share it with the people you love. Repost. The world needs to hear this. All right, Chris, before we get too far into the weeds with Evan Hansen and too far into the the orchards and whatnot with Evan Hansen, uh, we want to direct our listeners one last time this season to the Vulture Movies Fantasy League. We have, as you are listening to this, 
The Oscars are over. We have declared a winner. As we are recording this, we don't know who yet has won the Vulture Movies Fantasy League. But as of last week's update, the um, the everything, everywhere, all at once factor has kicked in. And, <laughs> and finally, for the first time all season, with one week to go, the leading team now has... Uh, everything everywhere all at once on their roster. It's the first time all season that the leading team has had everything everywhere all at once on their roster, which I feel like is a, you know, congratulations for people who played the long game. Honestly, that was sort of my strategy was to play the long game. I'm ending up on the top of the Vulture staff ranking, which I should really stop bragging about, bragging about because it's really unseemly. The fact that like, uh, uh, I should uh, not, I should not get to brag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Me, uh, the Plutarch Heavensby of this uh, of this entire endeavor. I shouldn't get to brag at all. Um, but yeah, so... Happy uh, Oscars on to a new season. Congratulations to the winner. Enjoy yes. your... Well, multiple winners, but enjoy your prizes. We hope this yes. was fun for everybody. Uh, yes. We've already done predictions, but I think we can both agree that uh, this person with all of their everything everywhere points is probably victorious unless by some type of nefarious uh deadline uh anchored uh chances uh the all quiet on the western front people pulled ahead in the points but uh, looking at the the construction you know, of the rosters and everybody who was at the top i think even if all quiet on the western front pulls ahead i don't think that will be enough i think in my sort of rudimentary calculations the only scenario that would constitute a come from behind victory in the final week involves an Elvis insurgency. So ah. um that feels like the uh the the crucial one, which I don't think is going to happen in Best Picture, but like we've talked about how Elvis could conceivably end up with like five or six awards this with is Austin be Butler really plus funny if uh, listeners are listening to this in a world where Elvis has won Best Picture. That is true. That is true. In a very unlikely universe. That else we who doubted. Yes, but anyway, yeah. As you're listening to this, you can click over right there to the uh, to the Vulture Movies Fantasy League and check out who has uh, emerged victorious. See where you ended up, and I think we can all take some lessons as to how we want to pick our teams. Maybe next year. It is a it's a game of chance, but it is also a game of. Um, you know, limited clairvoyance. And I think if I were to do it again, I there were a couple movies that I was sort of lingering on maybe picking after Sun being one of them that I probably would have, you know, gone for that would have helped me more than say, oh, what was the one? What was my real oh, um what was the 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 uh the plane the air fighters movie with uh a dedication? Sure devotion? Something? Yeah, Devotion. that was dead air. That was that was not a that was not a successful pick on my part. So I could have done some things differently too. Uh, but, listen, uh, you did not draft Corsage. So <laughs> listen, we all thought I thought Corsage had a had a decent shot of uh, of showing up some places. So hindsight being twenty twenty. But anyway, this was a Before really fun. Before we uh, yes. move on to the uh, to our dear Evan Hansen episode, Joe, tell the yes. listeners where they can go see those results one last time. 
All right. Thank you, Chris, for being the responsible one of the two of us. Yes, go to moviegame.vulture.com. And from there, you can click onto the landing page where you can see the full and final standings for the Vulture Movies Fantasy League. Thank you all for participating. Thank you, Chris, for talking it through with me all season. This was very fun. And see you next season. All right. Bye. I mean, not bye. Don't go away. We're talking about Dear Evan Hansen. You're waving bye through a window. I am. All right. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Scene. Scene. The world needs to hear this. All right. We, we've 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 gotten so far down the line and we haven't done the plot. Pro- <laughs> yeah, we're half an hour We in. really must. Uh, we really, really must. Chris, do you have your uh, phone near you? Because mine is across the room. And, yes. Um, all right. I'm going to read the boilerplate and then right, you can prepare uh, the, the timer for uh, Adam to do our 60-second plot description. But first, I'm going to say we're recover- we are co- we're re- we're re- recovering, dear Evan Hansen, from the- uh, we're Recovering from dear Evan Hansen. Yes, exactly. Uh, 2021's Dear Evan Hansen directed and- uh, Sorry. Directed by Stephen Chbosky. The uh, screenplay adaptation was by Stephen Levinson, who also wrote the book for the stage show. Starring Ben Platt. We'll get into it. Julianne Moore. Amy Adams. Caitlin Deaver, Amanda Stenberg, Nick Dodani, Colton Ryan, Danny Pino. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 9th, 2021. The reaction was uh, significant. It opened on <laughs> September 24th, 2021. Adam, Chris has the timer all ready to go. If you are ready for 60 <laughs> seconds worth of Dear Evan Hansen. I am. All, all right. right, then your 60 second plot description of Dear Evan Hansen starts now. Evan Hansen is an anxious teenager, question mark, who starts his senior year of high school after a suicide attempt with a broken arm and an assignment from his therapist to write a letter to himself every day. He inexplicably prints the letter out in the school library, where bully Connor Murphy steals it, and then sarcastically signs Evan Cast. Evan's cast. Later that day, Connor dies by suicide, and his parents mistake the letter for a suicide note, setting in motion a chain of misunderstandings, lies, and polo shirts that lead to the Murphys sort of adopting Evan, and Evan dating their daughter to a... Uh, and starting a teenage seconds. suicide don't do it charity until everyone finds out and gets mad, but there aren't really any consequences because the lie helped people and nobody got hurt except Connor, I guess. And also Julianne Moore is there and oh, it's a musical. And Ben Platt, who played Deer, he gave everything. <laughs> wow, with 15 seconds to spare. Um, the thing is, there's not really that much plot. Yeah, it's like you're highlighting that uh, there's not a lot of plot here, which kind of allows us to drive a Mack truck through the plot holes. <laughs> Um, well, he gave you your opening. Plot. He gave you your opening, Chris, to talk about RuPaul. So maybe we talk about RuPaul. <laughs> I mean, I I know what podcast I'm coming on. I knew it was gonna. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally, uh, in this film and on the stage, Ben Platt, who does play Deer, gives uh everything and uh, too much. I saw Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway, uh-huh. and uh, Ben Platt, who plays Deer, he gave everything you could see spit coming out and he was there were tears and he gave everything he had if if adam is going to take his uh opportunities to be a pedant in this uh episode i am going to as well with that rupaul clip because i agree that it's fun and all whatever but like all i do when i watch people make fun of that clip is being like I know what Rue was saying. Like, yeah, it's totally. one of those things. I watched well, like, it again. It was just, it's, it's, she's, it's the type of mistake that we make all the time because we talk too fast. We, we talk yeah. too fast and we start a sentence and then we like start another like, sentence halfway through the first sentence and just like, uh, and, and so I can imagine myself doing something where I speak so fast and I like, you know, Dear Evan Hansen and uh, Ben Side plays. from RuPaul because like, yeah. we're like, yes, of and course. And RuPaul is like, manicured and like 
pre-scripted in every single movement well, and emotional manipulation. And there's also a narrative among the people, among the fans of Drag Race who don't like RuPaul, among which there's, like, a quite significant number of, like, and they, I seem to follow them all, who, like, uh, love the show and love the queens and kind of, like, hate Ru for being a, you know, fracking, uh, you know, out of touch, whatever. But, like, the perception of RuPaul is that sort of, like, clip from The Weakest Link where she's saying Shaka Khan uh, to the wrong answers, <laughs> which I'm also a pedant of because The Weakest Link very clearly tells its contestants to not pass and to say a wrong answer instead of, if they don't know it, just say any wrong answer to move it along. So, like, that's my Speaking weakest link. Speaking of uh, RuPaul on The Weakest Link, my, like, favorite reference I've ever seen a Ru girl do. Did you ever see uh, UK Drag Race's Tia Coffee do no, RuPaul but I've heard. on The Weakest Link? It is stunning. I screamed I've heard. for four days straight when yeah. I saw that. Amazing. Um, Tia Coffee. Uh, but anyway, so... Maybe we start from the beginning here and start from the, the the musical. So, like, I saw this thing at second stage off Broadway. Adam, I imagine you did the same. I Chris, did. I saw did you very, very late in the run? Yeah, I don't but, remember yeah. where in the run I saw, but I definitely saw it. Chris, did did you see this on stage ever? No. You didn't. Okay. No. Um, but you saw, I imagine, like. Performances in the Tony performance. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. So familiar with the cast album. I remember hearing about this thing when it was in DC, when it was mm-hmm. uh, in its first run in Washington, DC. This thing had like buzz from a very early stage. If you knew anybody who was sort of like plugged into uh, theater or musical theater or anything like that. So, like, you knew this was coming down the pike. I also weirdly knew Adam, why would I have known Pasek and Paul's names well, so by I that actually... point? I went and looked this up. So they had had three shows, uh, like three full shows, two in New York uh, and one at Goodspeed in Connecticut. And they wrote three shows for my beloved Smash. Oh, uh, three right. Three songs. On season two what were the songs? What were their songs for Smash? Um, rewrite the Story, mm-hmm. uh, which is the one that looks a lot like uh, the staging of Dear Evan Hansen with the screens and all the... Whose song is that? Is bomb. that a character? It's, it's, it's Jeremy and Kat. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's Jeremy and Kat. Uh, it's Jeremy <laughs> Jordan and Kat, Catherine McPhee. Um, yeah. With uh, it's the it's the episode where like you know Derek has noted to get the Rob big Catherine McPhee, yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Um, and um, and and it's uh, it's one of my favorites actually. Um, but uh, you know it's typically like, lots of moving lights and lots of fog and then like these mm-hmm. big screens moving behind them. And then like I went and saw Darren Hanson and I was like, oh, it's it's hitless, great. Is it, so I was gonna say it's a hitless song, right? Um, so we- <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, they're all hitless songs. Um, yeah. Caught in the Storm, which is the one that um that Karen sings at the party to mm-hmm. Jeremy Jordan's Horror. She's like, oh, I found oh. this song of yours. I'm going to sing it in front of all your friends. Yeah. And um, Original. Um, oh, I remember Original, which, which I also, hated. Oh, yeah, I hated but, Original but so much. But it's sort of an interesting thing about them that, like, and uh, to compliment them, like, they are capable of writing in a lot of different styles. And, sure. Yes. Like, I would not have, have pegged Original as one of theirs. Um, it's what it's sort of like the, the if you watch ish Yeah. If you watch uh, Dear Evan Hansen and, like, La La Land back to back, you really kind of have to work to get the the didn't, connective tissue. Didn't they only do the lyrics for La La Land, or do I have that wrong? They did. Well, they worked with the with Justin Hurwitz, but like, uh, yes, but even yeah. still, like lyrically, like yeah. it's there's I don't know. But, it's, yeah. anyway, See, the I went, thread that I have for Pesic and Paul when I had first heard of Pesic and Paul, this is the mid aughts. I was in college, and they were like. 
it felt underground because it was a bootleg that like spread like wildfire right. of their song cycle edges. Remember when song cycles were a thing? Um, and like that music is the same fucking music 15 years later. Um, but like at that time it was like, they're going to be the next big thing. And it, it turns out that they were. Well, and so this is, this is, I went and looked this up because I was like, where did they come from? And because I'm older than you, I didn't know edges. Um, but this is like the, I just probably, anyone who is like into musical theater at the same, that's the same age as me at that time, I probably just like, you know, sent them down a wormhole. Well, right. And people are like, you don't know edges. So yeah. So they wrote the show while they were in college at the University of Michigan, um, which has a really well-known musical theater program. Um, oh, I hadn't noticed, Adam. Nobody yeah, we I know. know mentions that all the time. Uh, no one we know who also doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes, so I know. Fine. Um, <laughs> um, drag they, her. Uh, who are we according to? <laughs> just a friend of ours who doesn't yeah, listen okay. to this podcast. So it's not going to be as fun because anytime uh, it know. comes up, oh, they went to Michigan. Yeah. Um, they decided to write their own show after being unhappy with the roles they were assigned in a musical th- musical theater productions at the school, according to Wikipedia. Um, and Edges is a song cycle about the trials and tribulations of moving into adulthood and the search for meaning. This was in 2005. <clears throat> and then in 2006, 2007, they were the youngest recipients of the Jonathan Larson grant, um, which is really prestigious. And this is also right around the time of YouTube becoming a big deal. So like their songs just sort of went viral. Um, and then they had this benefit concert of their work in New York with this like insane cast of musical theater stars, which is like a weird thing like that they they had mm-hmm. this sort of insane new york debut this was when i was a stage manager i was not yet at the job i have now and i was like not aware of any of also again old so like not aware of any of this in terms of like being online in this way um but yeah to a certain generation who was like watching everything on youtube you know singing these songs at auditions or in cabarets or yeah you know, whatever like they were really big um and it's just like kind of unusual they did a, a adaptation of james and the giant peach in 2010 at Goodspeed in Connecticut, which I saw and loved, and I I don't I don't know why it hasn't gone anywhere. Um, mm. Which doesn't sound anything like like this stuff. It's much more like traditional sort of classic musical theater. Sure. Um, there's an album of it with like a bunch of Broadway stars that I think is actually pretty great. Um, their off-Broadway debut was Dogfight in 2012, which is a much more like you know early aughts, early 2010s mm-hmm. sort of like modern musical theater sound, but again not. Um, like not this, like not this poppy kind yeah. of thing. Um, based on the movie, the indie movie, um, and then a Christmas story, right? A Christmas story, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. which has had like many productions. It's like it's been to Broadway a couple times. It's obviously it's seasonal. Um, mm-hmm. which again I think is like a much more traditional sound. It does not sound like Dear Evan Hansen. Um, and then Dear Evan Hansen happens, and like you mentioned, the development super fast, right? They yeah had like a workshops workshops in 2014, 2015, DC in 2015, and then off Broadway in 2016. Like that's very fast. Musicals take years to develop, years to get funding. Well, and and at some point during that sort of like uh, succession of projects that you were mentioning, like at some point they kind of earned this reputation as like the next big thing. And like they, it wasn't, they weren't referred to as Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. They were referred to as Pasek and Paul in a way right. that you would refer to like Candor and Ebb in a way that I find found like uh, at the time, especially a little obnoxious. Whereas like, I understand like branding or whatever, but part of me is just like, all right, like Pasek and Paul, like, all right, Rogers and Hammerstein, like get over yourselves. <laughs> but that all kind of like, then Dear Evan Hansen happens. And it was sort of like this, like legitimization of it all where it was just like, okay, like this, this mythology that had 
existed and this sort of like image of of uh them in my mind it was just like oh okay like they have a show everybody that i know i remember the reception for anybody i know who saw it in dc was like uniformly positive like everybody i had talked to who had seen it in dc was like this is amazing i knew ben platt because of pitch perfect and ricky and the flash by that point ricky and the flash i guess wasn't until was around that time was summer 2015 but anyway pitch perfect I was like, oh, I kind of liked him in Pitch Perfect. And it was like, next big thing. Like, you know, hugely impactful performance. Um, ben Platt and, the, and Ricky in the Flash, innocent. Period. Oh, people, I will always defend him in that movie. Whenever anybody Platt, I'm like Ricky in the Flash, innocent. Yep, and in Pitch Perfect, I will say that for Pitch Perfect movie. as well. <laughs> yeah, Not well, so much the sequels, but... I haven't watched, I haven't gone back. I hated Pitch Perfect 2 <laughs> so much. I never watched Pitch Perfect 3, and I haven't gone back to watch the first one. No one needed Pitch Perfect 3. Well, nobody needed Pitch Perfect 2 was the other thing. I understand why you make a sequel of a very big hit movie or yeah. whatever, um, but I, I haven't gone I liked all three back. of them fine, but I, yeah. I will stick up for the first one for sure. Yeah, like, I, you know, I also, Skylar Aston to me is nails on a chalkboard, so I, there's a limited... Uh, no comment. But yeah. yes, I, I, did, I did like that movie a lot. But anyway, so it moves through, uh, like you said, pretty quickly, goes off-Broadway in early 2016 and by the end of 2016 it is on broadway so yeah i mean i saw it so again i saw it off broadway and then i saw it again this uh in 2022 so you know what eight six years later yeah um but uh what, what is math um we're what talking about years? theater and movies not math yeah um but um i mean yeah i don't think it changed significantly i mean certainly the physical production looked the same to yeah. me um if there were script changes they were they were pretty minor um, and as, I'm sure there were some, but yeah. yeah, I couldn't tell you what they were. And as any sort of like big successful new thing, there is a degree of backlash at some point that settles in to some degree. But I think the big backlash didn't come until the Tony Awards, which were the following uh what june i guess um yeah, june 2017 hosted right. by kevin spacey i was gonna say kevin spacey <laughs> walks out in front of god and country with a dear evan hansen striped shirt and it all went south um but that was a i look looking back at the tony nominations for that year i was like oh that's a really good year for best musical and the fact that it beat come from away which was like the big popular favorite it right? is a little like the feel the feel good like the feel good movie like the one that like your parents are coming into town and they're like what we want to see something and you're like go see come from away um and then natasha pierre and the great comet of 1812 which chris and i saw together masterpiece uh masterpiece. tremendous device a tremendous show because it's a, that's a love it or hate it sure but it was a big deal yeah and it, it was, was it, and it was sort of like the art the artistic choice of right, those exactly. four nominees and like people really like groundhog day but nobody really thought groundhog day was the people that love groundhog day will go to fucking bat for groundhog Hi. Day, musical. yeah is that your favorite of the four of them adam yeah and i mean okay so here come the disclosures again uh that um <laughs> well so uh so uh the company i work for damped uh we produce a a Festival of New Musicals every year, which come from away within. Um, we are also a member service organization uh, that Ars Nova, the off-Broadway theater that developed Natasha Pierre, is a member of, and we gave them a grant early in its development. Mm-hmm. So those are the two shows that I have like personal ties to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also worked with Chris Ashley, who won the Tony for Best Director that year for Come From Away. But my favorite of the four was Groundhog Day. I yeah. loved Groundhog Day. Um, and in the Best Actor race, my vote would have gone to Andy Carl, who was just like so good in Groundhog Day. Um, but I also love a season like this where there's not, I mean, by the end of it, I think Dear Evan Hansen was pretty clearly the front runner. Mm-hmm. But like, I love a season that's 
where there's not a Hamilton, you know, the God bless Hamilton, but like I, you right, know, a steamroller, like, not a steamroller, yeah. yeah. and also like these four shows could not be more different from one another, mm-hmm. like yeah. stylistically, um, you know. Well, the steamroller this season is the Hello Dolly revival. Well, well, well yeah, exactly kind it. of. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. What are the other the other revivals? Were Cap, well, it was falsettos, which Cap I saw falsettos. twice and and loved so yeah. much. Yeah, Miss Saigon and Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just like you know, Groundhog Day is based on a movie. Uh, Natasha Pierre is uh, based on a portion of War and Peace. Um, Come From Way is based on a true story. Uh, Evan Hansen is completely original. They all have original scores, right? There's no Yeah, Groundhog Day was never the cool choice simply because of it's based on a movie. It's based on a movie. But it's a really smart adaptation. Like they did some different things. It's a completely original score. There's no, they don't even include I Got You Babe. They did their own thing for that moment too. Um, And I just love that. Like there's something for everyone in these choices, and yeah. you know we don't have to agree on on Great Comet or on Groundhog Day because like you know they're so so different, and that's I love a season like this. Yeah, where there's not a clear winner because the voters are gonna you know have wildly different tastes and do their own thing. across the board too. Like we don't have to talk about the plays because like that's too big of a canvas, but like A Doll's House Part Two is that year, and Indecent is that year. Like two plays that I really really liked. Um, yeah. Uh, I didn't see the revival of Jitney, but like that was, or the revival of the Little Foxes, which is too bad because like I love Laura Linney so much, and I, yeah. I really, yeah, I mean that best have. actress in a play lineup is. Wild. Oh, uh, yeah. my uh, the five uh, inside out emotions in my brain. Um, those <laughs> actresses. What Laurie Metcalf, Kate Blanchett, Jennifer Ely, Sally Field, and Laura Linney. Like those exactly. Are, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, That's, you can't go wrong with any of those. You kind of can't. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the other musicals. I mean, that, that whole season, Bandstand. Uh, Right, Bandstand. Andy Blank- Blankenbuehler wins the Tony shafted. for Bandstand. Um, yeah. It's on film. I'm not sure where it's available, but they did film it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's somewhat tainted now by uh, by Laura Osnes, but, you know. We have yet it. to invoke War Paint on this episode. Oh, which I saw. I did see War Paint. I saw the first act. <laughs> 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 it's not the strongest show, but, like, the, the, the experience of watching uh, Patti Lapone and Christine Ebersole on yeah. the same show was... Uh, uh, worth it for me, I will say. So yeah, Holiday Inn, uh, which I, yeah. I saw, I saw out of town, but you know, feel good, toe tap, sure. like you know, there, yeah, it was a, it was a strong season. It was a strong Tony's year. It's, it's a, unfortunate that it had to be hosted by Kevin Spacey, and that's, uh, in many ways, what a lot of uh, sort of more casual people <laughs> remember from also that bizarre David Hyde Pierce performance. Oh right, because, because Bet, what Bet didn't want to perform, right? Or I mean, who knows why? I, I, I that was what I had heard he was, though, right? Because yeah. he was nominated, or because she didn't want to do it, or yeah, but it was weird. Yeah, um, Ben Platt performs "Waving Through a Window" at that Tony's, and then wins the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical. Nobody thought that that was going to turn out any other way, but I, like I said, I think this was the point where people started to turn on this show a little bit and i think it's one of those and then when the movie came out it was a similar thing where you got these waves of people being like that's what dear evan hansen's about and yeah everybody thinks it's about a gay kid well, because it sh- probably should songs. be about a gay kid but well, i think and you know what it could be like it could be as a as a as a once closeted anxious yeah. hairy teen like the crush on zoe is fully believable 
sure for him yes. in that moment in his oh, yeah. life right yes like, yeah you know. i had a crush on a girl when i was in high school and like yeah. there was the, the emotions are weird a lot of gay actors it. have played evan hansen at this yes. point so i you know I, yeah I, they yeah. all got married to each other and yeah. uh and, yeah <laughs> they live in a commune they... <laughs> exactly they're in a polycule all together and uh they're all wearing nothing but uh arm casts right arm casts and and uh, blue and blue white polos. striped speedos yeah it's a whole thing yeah. um <laughs> anyway um Wait, oh, oh, so the best actor in a musical uh, category, yes, which yes. again, Adam, you mentioned you would have gone for. Andy yeah, Carl. I mean, I think there was there was some conversation for Andy Carl, um, but I would have probably voted for Christian Borel for falsettos. Because also, a strong choice. I thought yeah. he was tremendous in that. Yeah. Um, but people really loved uh, David Hyde Pierce and Hello Dolly, and then yep. Josh Groban and Natasha Pierre. But I think there was no there was no illusion uh, anywhere that any that Ben Platt wasn't going to win because also. He was the one who broke through into the mainstream. He was the one who, like, goes on the Today Show and, like, Hoda and Kathy Lee, like, fucking freak out for him, That's right? That's the thing. Like, I mean, he campaigned. Like, he really – there was, a, I think, a, a little bit – I don't – I'm not – I didn't look up how many nominations Andy's had. But, like, Andy Carl's been around for a long time. Like, yeah. doing the work. Um, so I think the other narrative was, like, oh, you know, it's Ben's first. He'll be back. Yeah. Um, you know, let's give it to Andy – uh, and I, to be clear, I'm not a voter. Um, I don't, you know, this is just like what I hear. But uh, Ben Platt was definitely, definitely out there. There was a huge profile of him in the Times. And, yeah. you know, I saw him at events. Like he was, he was doing the thing. And well, we, I don't we, know that Andy Carr really was. We probably shouldn't get too far down the road before we mention the fact that Ben His Platt's father, father is Mark Platt one of the sort of Mark uh, Platt is part of the reason why I think the like villainization of this show began in terms of like the way that it has nothing to do with the content that people you know dislike this show because to talk about Mark Platt you also have to talk about La La Land losing Best Picture. Well, which here's the thing happens though at this time and like he's kind of he was out there as kind of the villain the percentage of, of the percentage of the percentage of people who know. That fact is so small, but it, like, it then radiates outward where, like, the people who are most sort of in the know about the fact that Ben Platt's father is a big, highly powered Broadway and Hollywood producer who also was a producer on La La Land, who also was on stage during the... He wasn't the bad actor uh, of that awards acceptance. He wasn't the one guy who, like heard that it was the wrong uh, movie that got announced and still gave a speech anyway, that wasn't Mark Platt. So, like, Is credit he the one that Jordan Horowitz snatches the thing out of his hand? No. it's That That's was the guy the who comes person. after Mark Platt. Mark Platt gives his speech, turns around, and someone tells him it's the wrong movie. Uh, and the next guy who goes up heard that, gives his whole little speech, and then at the end goes, we didn't win, by the way. And I was like, that's the asshole in this whole group. And then Jordan <laughs> Horowitz comes up and like, and, and uh, but anyway, um, the people who know that much about Mark Platt are such a small percentage of people, but their sort of snideness then radiates outward and, and sort of like fuels. It's the, it's the molten hot core of the earth to reference mm-hmm. a Hillary Swank movie um, that radiates outward <laughs> to this general <laughs> sense Swank of backlash. Hillary Swank goes on a journey to Mark Platt's Well, and house. I think like, yeah. And like Mark Platt was not a producer on the, on the, play he, he is, is a producer, producer on he's the a movie. producer on the movie yeah yeah uh, but like i went i actually went digging for that i was like i mean he may have he may have invested but his name is nowhere i, I did go looking yeah um he i also think like ben because you know, part of the backlash rightly um to 
you know, there sort of being no consequences for the character of Hansen is, you know, oh, it's a white dude. Sure. Facing no consequences yes. for his actions. And like, yes. yes, on stage, subsequent actors have not been white, but they right. are still dudes. And I think there is still, you know, inherent in the text, a whiteness to this character regardless yes. of who plays him. Yes. And I think even if you don't know all the details about who Ben Platt is, there is something to his public persona that reads as very privileged and a yeah. little bit annoying. And, you know, he he was on The Politician. He's very good on The Politician, I think, but he is playing, playing, that, a he's sociopath. playing that character. Yeah, he's, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. he's actually playing a sociopath in The Politician yes. who is extremely wealthy. And yes. is he going to sell on that, right? We can't talk too much about The Politician because I'll talk no, about no, it for we'll two hours. It's one of the most fascinating <laughs> bad shows yeah. ever. I could talk about it forever. It's Absolutely. so Nobody uh, does, by the way. Nobody talks about it because nobody really watched it. But People watch the premiere and then we're like, nope. Oh, nope. I watched every uh, single episode. I mean, you know what got, I watched? During quarantine, that nobody I know watch is his Netflix concert special, and then oh, I boy. bought his album on iTunes because I actually really liked it. But like even on that, like there, like his persona is a little off-putting. Even while I was like, I like this. Song. Half of the second season of The Politician takes place at Marie's Crisis. Like that's the general. Yeah. Like that's how weird it fucking gets. It's so yeah. anyway. Adam continues. But yeah, there. so like I mean, yeah, you don't have to know everything about him to have seen him in the wild and be like this guy. And then yeah. you see him as Evan Hansen, especially in the movie, and we should we should get into it. Um, and and be like, okay, that guy, even though in the movie he's poor, like it's text that he says it out loud, we're poor. Yeah. There's a whole thing about the scholarship. He's also like, like legitimately diagnosably uh, yeah. dealing with mental and emotional problems. Yeah. Like there's, there's also privilege is a, be... is a, is a, is a, is an apt distinction, but also like deserves to be talked about in its full sort of for context. sure. But like you put Ben Platt in it, especially yes. Ben Platt in 2021, and yeah. as opposed to unknown Ben Platt in 2016. Yes. And it, it matters. I mean, this might just be being a city kid, but like, oh no, his bedroom in that movie is larger than my bedroom now. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yes. how poor? Are, like, I don't want it to be poverty porn either, right? And like, certainly the the Murphys. Is have there the any specificity of about where this movie takes no. place, or is it just like American city? None. The other thing, I mean, this is largely around. Where the but, fuck are orchards? It's got to be California. I was going to say I, like also. Northern I thought they shot California? it in Georgia, but at the end, the the New York State film thing came up. In oh, Florida, interesting. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's there are orchards moment, in New York State, though. Yeah. No, of course. It was more just like where did they film it? And yeah. Um, there's a moment when um when when Connor's mom uh he she gives him the tie, uh, and and she, you know she talks about like how they bought it for him for bar mitzvah season. Yeah. Because of all the parties he was gonna have to go to and and dress up for. And I was like, in what world? Like this is the least Jewish movie. <laughs> I guess I realize Ben Platt is the lead. <laughs> but like Evan and Heidi Hansen. Yeah. And Connor Murphy. Sure. And, like, it, it doesn't matter that Ben Platt is in it. There's not a Jew to be found on the screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a big high school that he goes to. Like, I would imagine in the laws sure, of large numbers sure. or whatever. Like, I sort of, I tell this story a lot. And it sounds bizarre, but, like, it's, like, I didn't really meet Jewish people till I moved to New York City. Like, I grew up in a sort of small, went to a very small high school and a very Catholic, in a very Catholic city in a very catholic area of a very catholic city so i genuinely like never went to bar mitzvahs never right. went to like anything like that and as a kid Whereas so, like, I, that... every saturday of seventh grade was in fact <laughs> sure sure exactly yeah. um but so but yeah so they the the casting of this movie they cast ben platt is the only member of the thea- theatrical cast to get cast in the movie he is 27 years old when he makes this movie and like 
as somebody who grew up on Beverly Hills 90210, I cannot right. with a good conscience like bag on it too much for the for the for the flat fact of they cast a 27-year-old to play a high schooler because like that those are the shows that I watched all growing up. Yet at that same time, the movie doesn't seem to work all that hard to make him look teenage. Like the oh. movie does or when it does, it backfires. I think it works too hard to make him look teenage. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Like I mean, Joe, they shaved his arms. <laughs> that I didn't notice. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's get into it. Okay, Sorry, Chris, you have to. Well, I mean, okay. the The impetus for the movie, like Chabosky said this in interviews, was to like get this performance on film while they're while they still could. Scare mm-hmm. quotes, basically, and it's like. You're already too late. You're already too late. Yeah. But, because, but, like, but his dad is, to... is telling you you have to. So uh, Right. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It, it goes back to that thing of film can sometimes be a much more literal uh, art form. And, yeah. like, he just looks, it's not just the way that he looks too old, which, like, really plays into when you're watching it on film how... Um, how much blame you want to shift onto this character because yeah. it seems like yeah. It, yeah. it makes it just like at no fault of the actor it's merely his casting makes him seem more deceptive because he looks like an adult playing a 14 year old yeah. yes. and yeah. in a way that like he's next to Caitlin Deaver who's Feels like she's been playing fourteen years old for like fifteen. Yes, years. Right. and has incredibly like, done so. She's yeah. still conceivable yes. sixteen year old. But here's know? the other thing. I mean, Colton Ryan. I, I looked all of this up. Colton Ryan is twenty five. Yes, Nick Dodani is twenty seven. I mean, ish. I don't know their you know actual birthdays, but somewhere in that range when they're filming. Um, in that locker room scene, right where he is, you know, which is like me- is meant to highlight how awkward he feels, and like yeah. I get it, they're all athletes, right? But he's <laughs> but so- it's kids with like full pecs. And right, abs he's surrounded and, by shirtless like, men. Including Isaac Powell, who is a Tony-nominated Broadway actor. Who does Isaac Powell play in this? That's a name that I know, but I can't place. He's his face. one of the guys in the locker room, and he has a line. And you'll be, you know, he's one of the. You have to see this guys, and you will be found. And that's it. That's all he's. Um, yeah. So he's he's around, but he's uh, in the locker room. Uh, he's the one who like when when Evan is like um, like up center by the locker. He's mm-hmm. the one who like comes up right behind him, and Evan flinches. Gotcha. Um, and he's like twenty six, twenty seven, and yeah. a literal Calvin Klein underwear model. Yeah. In real life, like. None of these people look like teenagers at all. Yeah, like even muscular teens don't look like that. Yeah, like Colton (laughs) Ryan, it works because he's supposed to be older than Evan, at least, and he's supposed to be. They're both seniors. A a mean, you know, like a bully or whatever. So, like. But only Platt is pancaked in makeup and whatever they do to his hair. And once again, I will say they shaved his arms. Ben Platt is a hairy, hairy man. As a fellow hairy, hairy man, I can tell you, I had hair on my arms at age 16. Like, this is not a thing that happens. Like, you don't, it doesn't sprout when you turn 30. Like He looks like when, you know, SNL skits they're playing teenagers. Yeah. It looks like that. Yeah. But they didn't do it to any of the other actors. So it also, like, I don't know if it was his choice or what, but like, it also makes him stand out like yeah. not just that he looks weird but no one else does and the opening shot of the movie or shots of the movie are the series of tight close-ups on his yes. face and yes. on his hands typing and all i could see was like i can see the makeup i can see that yeah. they waxed you it just yeah. is so weird and i felt bad for him i guess unless it was his choice but like he's unsupported on yeah. every level in this movie. And I, again, I like him. I mean, not as a, I don't know him as a person. He seems very annoying, but like as a performer, I like yeah. him a lot. Yeah. And I just felt like, what a, like, way to hang your star out to dry from moment one. The age thing, 
The age thing was the thing that got latched onto from the second that the trailer came out. That was when sort of the trailer being released really was the watershed moment, even more so than the TIFF premiere, because like that's when everybody who hadn't seen the show went and Wikipedia the plot. And that's when everybody started making jokes about how much older he looked. But the thing that to me was like a noticeable issue. The problem for me with the Ben Platt performance is performance style, which yeah. Yeah. Because like even when I saw the show uh, when I saw the show off Broadway and my seats weren't particularly close, right? It's like second stage is not a very big room, but like I was halfway back in the room at least. So it's not like I was like up close and personal and getting like a Jonathan Groff shower or anything like that. It's it's I was back. But like even from that far distance, I one of my like as everybody's like this performance, one of the greatest performances ever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, he's a little big for my taste. And yeah. like he's so it's like the the performance on stage is so uh wrenching and and uh excruciating to look at. He's so he wells up these like big emotions and he's slobbers crying and 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 is so demonstrative in these like very unbearable teenage emotions or whatever. And the the adage, right, is that like you can go bigger, you have to go bigger on the stage because you're playing to the back row. That's the whole reason that that is a statement. Um even in that context, I was like, I, 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 that back row could have been a lot farther back and I still would have gotten what he was going for. So of all the people to then be like, well, we have to cast this guy in the movie version, that particular performance and this particular story, I'm like, this is going to be a disaster because he's already bordering on too much on stage for me. Um, in film, this is going to be way too much and it is it's just that it, the the watching this performance up close is deeply uncomfortable and not in the way that i think the movie wants it to be uncomfortable and one of the one of the solutions solutions and scare quotes that chabaski sort of chooses to to use is we are going to turn a lot of these songs into these sort of half-spoken, half-sung things that will then integrate into the drama of the movie. And I think all of those seem very annoying to me. Yeah, I thought some of that worked, but then you get to Words Fail, which he did exactly like he did on stage, which is... That's the one on stage where he just, like, loses his fucking shit and, like, yeah. Yeah, and, like... And now it's memed throughout the internet, all of these, like... face contortions he does and and, he's being shot from below like all these weird angles and he's running through the forest and and also again having seen other actors do that now i'm like you don't have to do that yeah you can do it smaller on in a broadway theater you can do it smaller yes like this is also like the great case for lip syncing right like sing it like you want to in the studio and then lip sync it so that you don't have to do that like if that's your your vocal thing yeah right lip sync it so that you can you can do different things with your face on camera. Yeah. I don't know. I just like that was the number where I just was like, "Oh, this looks terrible." And I did. It's not my favorite number on stage. I think the second half of the show, I'm a lot more underwhelmed by. Like even not like even the Rachel Bay Jones number on stage, the one she essentially wins the Tony for playing right. uh, playing Evan's mom. Um, most people I know flipped shit for that and like really loved it. And for me, it was again, a little underwhelming as a, as a sort of 11 o'clock number or whatever, but like you even like the translation to the movie and like 
there is few fewer uh, bigger Julianne Moore fans than I am. But like Same. the they had to turn that song into a half spoken, half sung, you know, much smaller, much more intimate. Um She doesn't get off the damn sofa. She doesn't get off the <laughs> they, sofa. They, that's true on stage they just sit. She's she they ask her to belt one note and she can't and it's like i can't blame she's her for that because like she's right. not a singer but like but again it's i mean movie, and she's, she also it. said in interviews like she wanted to do this movie a because she felt connected to the material after seeing it on the stage you know yeah you, you have to respect that but also she wanted an actual new challenge and it's like especially someone in her career like you do kind of have to applaud them trying to take on a challenge like that but even so she's not a singer right she, yeah it was and she's also i mean she's also her age also strains credulity, and I, I feel like right because they they cast a twenty seven year old Evan, then they had to cast an older sure 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 Heidi. Like I don't know, they're just and I think she's great. Like I you know, and I like the performance. I just yeah, it's weird. I it's the best good... scene in the movie is uh her with the other family when they're saying they're going to pay for Evan's college, and she has to say no. That's the best scene in the movie, and yeah. it's the best scene in the movie because of her. Yeah. I mean. Yes, I think that's such a cliched scene that like it really kept me at arm's length. We've seen that scene in so many things. The you know, uh, the the scene where the you know the person of less means gets offended right. at the people of more means trying to help them, and like you can see it coming so far down the road, even if you haven't seen the show before. That it's just like, all right, can we just get to the part where we're like past this or whatever? Right. But like it is Julianne Moore and Amy Adams, you know. In a scene together. Well, maybe maybe that's just me as a total F slur being like the best scene in the movie is the one scene with Amy Adams and Julianne Moore together. But well, also like I do feel a little bit like I was coming into this prepared to be like, okay, it's not the biggest fiasco in the world like everybody made this movie out to be. But then again, I'm like the best scene in the movie is one of the most cliche scenes of the movie. So my favorite segue. scene. Or sorry, no, no, well, you go. Okay, my favorite scene. And maybe it doesn't even work in the context of the whole show, but like the one I actually like perked up with was uh, the Colton Ryan number was sincerely me, which yeah. I remember I liking. With that number, I well, yeah, but in fun. context of it, yes, and we'll talk about it in a second. But like on stage, I really liked Mike Feist a lot, but that number was like yeah, it was a good number. Um, and I generally mostly liked him. I also love the fact that like he doesn't come back and do the movie and instead he does West Side Story and like blows the doors off of that movie and should have been nominated for an Oscar and then has subsequently been cast in like a bunch of different cool things that are coming out soon so like good for Mike Feist um but I was I think I mostly liked the sincerely me number because I I saw Colton Ryan in that one episode of Poker Face this year but that's the only other thing I'd ever really seen him in He's like, I was really excited by how good he is in that number. And I'm like, oh, I want to see like 20 more things that, that he does yeah. at this point. He's good. And there's more imaginary Connor in the, in the play. And yes. like, I was, I was sort of sad to lose that. Yeah. I was sort of because... hoping that we'd get at least one more. Um, it, tone wise, it doesn't. At the end of the movie, though. That's true. But there's yeah. more like he, I, I think it also like it helps again with like Evan's motivation to sort of see him. Like imagining having these imaginary conversations with Connor and yeah. you know feeling guilty, right? I, I don't know. I feel, yeah, I find those scenes helpful dramaturgically and tone wise. I don't know if that scene fits in with the rest of the scenes in the movie, but like as its own isolated thing, I will watch that like several more times probably on YouTube and whatnot. Yeah. Um. Uh, just a the parents thing is a it's a good 
segue into one of my problems, which is I think it's a terrible adaptation. Yeah. Um, which is also really interesting because Stephen Levinson wrote Tick, Tick, Boom, which I think right. is a phenomenal. Which adaptation. is a really good adaptation. Um, yes. But also, so. like, he's not adapting his own script and it's a different director. And, you know, I, who knows mm-hmm. who's responsible for what. Um, yeah. But the on stage, there's a different opening number. Uh, Waving Through the Windows mm-hmm. is, is the second number. Right. And the the opening on stage is is largely about the parents. Um, right, trying to deal with having these fucked up children, mm. and and I don't know if they cut it because Amy Adams and Julianne Moore couldn't sing it or didn't want to sing right. it, or if they just wanted to get things going faster. Um, but like you actually meet them earlier and learn yeah. a lot more about them and and about Connor and about Zoe's relationship to Connor. All of that is established very quickly. Yeah, and then there's a a scene at school uh, that gets you into waving through a window, which is actually like motivated by. Uh, Evan has awkward interactions with both Zoe and Alana, who you we actually meet earlier, um, and ja- and like Jared like makes fun of his phone. Like there's a bunch of stuff about also sort of establishes him being poor and and all is of Jared that. gay in the stage version? He's Adam? not. I couldn't no. remember. Okay, I didn't no, think that's so. new. Um, Do they think they changed it to make sincerely me seem less homophobic yes, when 100%. Jared is making fun of him? I 100% for, yeah, think okay, that okay, that's okay, what happened. That's like, yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, and also like even just like. Yeah, that like Alana and Zoe like talk to him is also like more realistic, even though there's no other people who we meet at the school. That's like, oh yeah, like people at least say hi in the hall because sure, like sure. they're not monsters. Yeah. Um, and then that gets you into whipping through a window. And I don't know, I just like it sets everything up so much better. And then like during Requiem is like one of my favorite songs on the show, but in the movie I was like, I don't know who these people are. Like, why do I care about? I did not care for that scene in the movie. I will say right? that. I, yeah. I think it's the only musical number that's filmed well in the I, movie. I agree I think with you i i have a lot of directorial issues with this movie but we don't have to go there yeah no i mean i have a ton yeah uh, but there's also i think this is a problem that happens with movie adaptations of stage musicals a lot where they cut something and then you have to like mm. shuffle the book scenes around and as a result you end up with like 25 minutes without a song <laughs> and yeah. that's what happens mm. here um apart from also losing all this exposition about um about who the parents like the parents are cut from a lot of this yeah um and I think that's really kind of unfair to Amy Adams and Julianne Moore. Like, why cast them if you're going to cut half? I don't material? think Amy Adams is very good in this movie, but I also feel like there's it's a fraught time. A, a lot of the problem is with the way the character is is rendered in the script and cut down, as you mentioned, yeah, Adam. But like, I don't, I don't like watching her in this movie. Every scene, every scene that she's in, I she's find very to play an alien. Like, she's none so of this mannered. She's grief. so. I can't. I don't like it. It it just makes me. It it made me feel kind of like a crazy person. It's like when does the funeral happen? Like nothing with this family kind of makes any sense. Well, he was. He's out. He's out of school. They they have this moment where he's like Connor hasn't been in school for three days, and it's like it's been three days, and this rumor hasn't gotten around that this kid killed himself three days ago like what's 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 going on like when the sister presumably has friends right 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 right. yeah i mean that's one of the other like weirdo things about like where seeing the other people is the worst possible thing because like then all of a sudden everyone gets a text or something yes and like at the end where like they apparently all have notifications on their phones for the project the scene where they're in the supermarket and the one parent like amy adams looks over at the one parent who like checks her phone and i'm like i can get where like teenagers are glued to their phones and getting like every little update but like this like middle-aged lady in the checkout line at the supermarket isn't getting like text blast from some someone being like the murphy's suicide right? note comes like they're out all at the party. random instagram of a high schooler 
like they're all at the party and they all get that text or whatever about the about the, yeah. the, the suicide letter we posted yeah. or the, the dear Evan Hansen letter getting posted. Yeah, it's like what? Who is that? Who is notifying them? Like, why do they all have alerts on? Why do they all have their sound on? Like, that's oh, also like the thing <laughs> that the, again, I think part of this movie's problem is that exists. It exists in this sort of like half measure land where like the Amanda Stenberg character, what's her name? Uh, Alana. Alana posts the note for very sort of thinly plausible reasons. And then this, like by the time Evan calls her and is like, you have to take it down. She's like, Oh, I already have. And it's like, at least like exist in the moment of like why you posted it at the beginning. Like there's it's, yeah, the timeline is very unclear and it's just so plot. Like it's for the reasons of plot. This letter had to get out there and we're going to do it in the most painless way possible where you can still like this character the same way you did a second ago. Um, just there's a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of sort of shortcuts that that don't work for me. Can we talk about Stephen Chabosky for a second, though? Please, yeah. Who I don't agree. I don't like that the way he directs this uh, either. I really, really did like Perks of Being a Wallflower as a movie, and yeah. I think that's and I think that's a little bit instructive of what works in non musicals and doesn't work in musicals, maybe. Whereas the Mm-hmm. In a musical, on stage, the levels of sincerity that are at play, for as much as I think Dear Evan Hansen should be probably a little bit less sincere than it is, it is a very largely sincere movie. Um, and, or a lar- largely sincere show, and also a, I would a say movie. overly sincere movie. Uh, and, but I think you can... misses some key stuff. <laughs> but I think you can be that way on stage, and you can probably get away with a lot of that on stage for... A variety of different reasons, one of which mm-hmm. is the fact that like you can get a room full of people sort of wrapped up in the music and dancing and, and showmanship of it all. And then when you put a camera so close to somebody's face in a movie, that level of sincerity is unnerving and distancing like it's it's doing the opposite when it's that kind of performance and i think in something like perks of being a wallflower which is an incredibly sincere movie to a point where i think a lot of people don't like it because it is almost like uh, nails on a chalkboard sincere i don't agree um it hits me differently but like i think in that movie he replaces a lot of like what you the the style that you would get in a musical in the form of songs and, and whatnot replaces that with this sort of um, there's a, there's a moodiness to perks of being a wallflower that fits this very sort of like teenage moment where everything is the most important thing that ever happened. And, and the movie sort of replicates that emotion while sort of giving the audience a, enough of knowledge that like, you know, like this is, you know, this was a moment. This is a moment in these people's lives that we can maybe like step back from a little bit and look at. And there's no escape from that in Dear Evan Hansen, the movie. And it's, and you're sort of locked in the room with this, right. with well, this I level mean, of sincerity. In person being a wallflower, people, all of the characters behave in that the way people behave. Yeah. I think almost at no moment in this movie do people behave the way that real people behave. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it's interesting that Chbosky is also, he wrote the script for Rent, right? He ad- he wrote the adaptation for the film. Did he? I thought so, or maybe he did a draft. Oh, because one of my key complaints was... about this matches my, one of my key complaints about Rent. I mean, Rent is a lot more fun, and like, we will forgive the things about Rent that don't will work. Will we? But I, 
Uh, we I will. will on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I'm aware. I listened to that episode. <laughs> he did actually. He is the credited screenwriter for the Rent movie. That's, and, that's yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, I think one thing. And Beauty and the Beast, the live action. Ooh, movie. Oh, okay. We we will not we will not uh, stump. I will movie. say the problem with the Beauty and the Beast movie isn't necessarily a script. The script is essentially like a, a, a xeroxing of the of the movie. Right. So, right. The problem with the Beauty and the Beast uh, movie musical is, is that, that it happened is uh, designed to be a cash cow and. Uh, yeah. Uh, not a good movie. Yeah. Um, the uh, the thing about Chabosky also being in Rent is there's a key complaint, I think, of both of those movies and that they're directed by people who don't know how music works Correct. on screen. Like, th- it's even worse in this movie, I think. I mean, Chabosky is just not someone who should be directing a musical. I don't think he understands the rhythms the way like you capture a musical sequence in the movie like i said the requiem number is the only one that i really think is shot well in this movie um in a way that i was like it, it i felt maybe is most connected to it and it's like it's doing a lot of the obvious things but like it feels like it's doing what it should be doing and moving to the rhythm of the music in a way and like telling the story you get from the a to the b that you're supposed to by the beginning and end of the song whereas it almost makes me wonder and maybe this is cynical brain or mean brain of me of a lot of the ben platt numbers if they're shot in the way that they're shot because there was some type of shall we say, producer interference, where it's just like you think that you're just putting a spotlight on a performer by capturing uh, only what that performer is doing. But like, there's no visual language, there's no visual storytelling happening in any of those numbers, and it just sucks. (laughs) Like, I I would almost blame, I feel less blame towards Ben Platt doing what the same performance he did on the stage that I feel more blame for Chbosky for not capturing it well. You know, I don't think it's all the actor's fault. There's one yeah. one that really stood out to me, and it's it's funny that the Rent connection is there. Also, the Michael Greif directed both Rent and Dear Evan Hansen on stage, right? Um, and and not did not I, he's never really directed a movie, and I know they're very different skills. Um, but the end of You'll Be Found is the Act One finale on stage, and it yeah. ends with a big booming crashing button that's also the moment when uh zoe kisses evan and they they moved it later here um and it's like sort of bad right like that's also like one of you in the back i hate the way it's staged uh, in the musical uh, at least in in the off-broadway version with the like the texts showing up on a screen on on the stage yeah i mean all of the all those projections are it's so cringy to me but like the i thought the way that it was in the movie is cringy where it's just like it becomes this overbearing cascade of online images i i will well okay i so i have i have a copy of the script that i received for oh and i'm gonna read you the stage direction for that moment but but let me finish my point first that so you know, one of the part of the backlash is like, oh, and he, you know, he ends up, you know, he he gaslights this girl, he ends up dating her, and yes, it's it is it's bad. I'm not defending that at all, but I think it's really important that in that moment on stage, um, she kisses him first, and musically, it's not good, right? Like the music tells you this is scary and kind yeah. of bad, and in the movie, 
there's no button on the song. The song just peters out because yes. God forbid we we remind anybody this is based on a stage production and there's a blackout and, and an intermission here. Right. Um, and Rent does the same thing. Rent cut all the buttons off the songs and all those actors who had done it on stage were like left standing there at the end of every song going, eh? Yeah. Now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. And that it's is so awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's okay to like end a song and let people clap, even if it's like not a live audience. Right. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, wait. So how does it? How does it? I read have to, in the I have to find it. I didn't. Okay. Wow. Movie. So you're Somebody saying ran. they should have split Dear Evan Hansen into two movies because they don't know how they can follow up that. Act one <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> what do you do? You That's have exactly to split it into two movies, oh not God. because we think we can make more money by doing that, but because it just doesn't work. It's simply you just have to do it. If this you were a video podcast, answer. this there would be a banner along the bottom being like wicked commentary, wicked commentary, wicked commentary. <laughs> oh, oh, an editorial comment on the movie Wicked coming in. An editorial comment season. on the capitalistic uh <laughs> for no other reason other than making money yeah. uh splitting of Wicked into two movies. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Yes. The space slowly fills with people's posts, a virtual community. The voices no. overlap, and each of the individual threads becomes part of the larger stream of messages, and one by one, they fuse with the stream until there is no separation between them. A dreamlike feel, like we have fallen into some kind of collective hallucination. Maybe this is what life after death feels like, or maybe what it would feel like to fall into the internet. Oh, God. Did Aaron Sorkin write this? <laughs> no, because Aaron Sorkin would have seen the internet as a nightmare, but yes, um... Uh, and That's like I halfway mean, through. You I think found. that part of the part of the point is that the internet is a nightmare. That's I think the thing. That part of yeah. the point is like it can be as harmful as helpful. But I think the 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 context of the plot wants to wants it to be it's more harmful than it is. But helpful. the way it's filmed in this movie, like there's nothing about right. that scene that seems sinister. Even though if you look at it with any kind of context as somebody who has experienced the internet you look at that and you're like oh this is this is a dark turn of events and like yeah the yeah. way that like you know that pit in your stomach when that happens when uh all of a sudden something you've tweeted starts getting responded to by people you don't know because somebody clearly like sent this tweet yes. of yours to somebody else and that pit in your stomach where it's like oh no like i don't want to i don't want to be a part of whatever this is now being a part of and like this app is about to be unusable for two days that's the thing and it's still like you watch that scene and like you the audience member are bringing to that if you have any experience with the internet in that way being like oh no like i don't want anything of mine to go viral ever <laughs> but it's it's also this element that like the people that that is good for the people that it helps have absolutely nothing to do with the real context of the people that it actually involves the people that it continues to affect right and there is a there is an almost professional internet class that benefits from things going viral and yes there is an insincerity to it too that you know and in a better maybe version of this in a more realistic version of this maybe they allow that amanda stenberg character to to be a be more cynically opportunist. I think this movie needs to have all characters be generally good people, and in that way, you have no personification of the sort of empty opportunistic nature of the internet and of sort of viral fame, and that is a big weakness in the movie. Yeah, and you know, I think it, in 2016, I think it played a little differently, also. Um, sure. 
but yeah, like I don't like those projections in the stage version, but it, they did do a good job of feeling overwhelming. Yeah, um, in yes. the way that right, and and I think they they were trying so hard to make it feel to to to, to keep it from dating um, immediately. Sure, and yeah, technological that right. They updated. Yeah. I think there's a lot of Facebook in the original script, and now it, yeah. know, they've they've made it slightly more Instagram. But I noticed they also just took a lot of it out where they were just like, it's online, it's everywhere yeah. without yeah. without naming. God, the 2023 version of Dear Evan Hansen would have been like Evan doing a TikTok dance TikTok, yeah. with like with yeah. the the text of the note like yeah. uh, over it, and like it would be even more cringy and awful. Yeah, text would be like. You are worth it. Yes, Again, exactly. if this was a visual right. medium, you would see my I little weird lied to everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like and subscribe, the Orchard account. All right, wait, I want to get into the sort of the miscellaneous of this, right? So, like, the, the I mean, we can, like, go through this quickly, but, like, it really was the fact that, like, this trailer dropped in, when did I say? I wrote this down in the uh, outline. Uh, May 21. Is what you yes, said. May. In May of, of 2021. And, like, that was the end of it, right? Like, we sort of, by that point, we knew where this was all headed. Unless, like, unless the movie was really going to show itself to be something very, very different. Like, there was, the writing was on the wall by that point. It premieres in Toronto. Almost everybody who sees it in Toronto really hates the it. The opening night Toronto. But this is the Toronto where, like, no one goes. So Right. Explain like, that. Explain that, Chris. Okay. This is... It's 2021. <laughs> this, is this the first time we're really talking about the particulars of COVID? <laughs> Maybe. Well, we talked... Uh, we've like talked about it in, like, tangents, but, like, not in the context of, like, a specific But, movie. like, in the way that it actually affects, you know, yeah. the uh, unveiling of... This movie. is a mostly okay. virtual... Tiff still, even though it's yes, the there second. are vaccines, etc. But still, like international travel is somewhat tricky. Yeah, and like this was also the first Toronto where it's like it's pretty much online. It's pretty much all in person. Like Dune but, is there, etc. But, but you're like, fully able to experience like, it online if you want to, and a lot of people opted to do that. Us included. almost none. Like none of the big titles were available to press online. There was some press that went. Everybody that went there was like, "It's a ghost town." You're in these two thousand seat venues, and because of the social distancing of it, it feels like there's fifty people there. And it just everybody yeah. that went said it was incredible. I would have been very depressed, I think, if I had gone to that particular. Tip. I, I was, think so too. Yeah. Um. And so but Chris and I, also... in, do, in covering it virtually, we sort of uh, uh, readily accepted the fact that, as you said, a lot of the bigger movies that were going to open were not going to be available to stream. Who the fuck wanted to watch Dune on a laptop anyway? Whatever. Like, I saw Benediction I at that TIFF, and that ended up being one of the top movies that I saw of this year. So I was happy with that. Uh, well, um, so anyway, you have a significantly smaller press sample. It is the opening night movie. So any press, who, or it's the opener of the festival itself. Any press that was there saw this movie and like... Recoiled. <laughs> recoiled, but also like, it's it's just kind of a perfect setup to really dogpile on this movie and feel really show me about this movie that already had really, really online negative reception. So it's like you're going through a lot of loopholes during COVID and then you show up to a festival yeah. that feels like it's not fully The vibes happening. are probably bad anyway when you're there. And so, yeah. Yeah. It, so it, the, I mean, I can't think of a movie that had a more noxious immediate press response than yeah. this movie like that night like 
you know, some of it, we, listen, we were in a bad place in September 2021. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think people were maybe a little too hard on this movie. Like, I don't think that this movie is a tool for evil, but, like, it's not good. But, yeah. like, people absolutely laid into it in a way that really kind of killed the movie. I mean, people weren't showing up to movies all that well, but, like, it definitely killed its kind of box office potential as much as it could have. But, like, yeah. it was dead on arrival partly because of that critical response. Well, yeah. and that's, I mean, just as a anecdotally, like, as a person who would be primed to see this movie, right, then it opens in September, which is just when Broadway's reopening. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I had not yet been in a theater, I don't think. I think my first movie in a theater was with Yujo to see In the Heights, Oh, wow, yeah. So, like, I, I will go to a theater for Wait, no, we didn't see In the Heights together. I saw In the Heights with... Uh, didn't we? Different folk. No, oh, I didn't anyway. see In the Heights with you. Oh, well. Anyway. We saw something, but it was not that. Not a great year for musicals being treated. Poorly. Right? I mean, I will I will yeah. definitely stick up for In the Heights. And, me too. I love is that, that a movie maybe. you can do? Please have me back if you do In the Heights. Uh, we can't. We, can, we can, yeah, unfortunately. We can. Well, yeah. That makes me sad, but I would I would love to talk about Another it. Another musical I don't think is shot particularly well. But well, we disagree on that. that. Yeah, I will, yeah, yeah. We, will, we will fight about that one. I'm much more positive oh, about In the Heights. Y- we gotta, we gotta talk. I will give you screen caps of some of those green screenshots. That's, that's fair. That's fair. But we can. Anyway, please have me back. Anyway. So uh yeah so you know i mean yeah i will i will get i will leave i will leave my couch for for a musical but um it like i mean i barely knew it was happening and at this point like we were so used to day and date streaming because we still were not really going going out much and i don't know why they didn't do that because i promise you i would have had some kind of you know zoom watch party if i could have watched it at home even had Universal pay, started putting things on Peacock by that point? Was this before or after Halloween? It didn't go to kills? Peacock. It took until about um, the Thanksgiving window for this movie to hit VOD. Right, and this is why they didn't do Day right. and Date because I mean, initially I think they thought that they would make some money on this movie mm-hmm. once those reviews hit. That was over. But so this was um, September, and then Halloween Kills the next month opened Halloween Kills was the first right. one that was like we're going to do Peacock as well yeah. and maybe partly because of the box office performance of this movie and I don't but I think you had to they pay didn't for do it. the VOD right away because the day that it does and this happens for a lot of movies now but I this is one of the first times I ever remembered seeing it that's when the screenshots making fun of his performance really, really blew up. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that wasn't in the trailer, where it's like, "Look how awkward he is." This thirty-year-old man, right? The crumple face playing sixteen, the, the but it's like yeah. the sob face going everywhere, mm-hmm. the screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, and then when it when it did come out, you had, you still had to pay for it for a while. Because I I watched yeah. it on a plane in January. Um, because that. It it still hadn't hit any of the streamers that I have for free yeah, yeah, for a, yeah. a couple of months after that, um, and at that point I was like, eh, I'll if wait. I had seen over the shoulder somebody watching Dear Evan Hansen on a plane, I would have probably like taken a, watch them watching, taken it. a photo, and then texted several friends and just been like, oh, <laughs> this person's watching Dear Evan Hansen on a plane. Should I? Should I? Should I warn them? Um, wait, Adam, you said you had a too. you said you had a game for us though, and I don't want to get too. Uh, uh, too far along before we allow you to to hoist this. I mean, are us. we going too long? Should we skip? Should we skip? No, we're not uh, going too long. There okay. is no such thing as too long. But I, I don't mean, want I, it to I, be yeah. like 
I want I want some oxygen between your game and the IMDb game. So okay, uh, well, so this is the thing. I I'm gonna be very bad at the IMDb game, and I, okay. I also thought this might this might have been a six timer for uh, for Amy or Julianne. So I, I just want it is prepared. only our second Amy Adams movie, and it wow. is like our eighth uh, Julianne Moore. So uh, unfortunately, it's... we have multiple Amy Adams movies that we could do this year alone. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's true. We'll do the woman in the window eventually too. Julianne and Amy riding again. I know. Yeah. Right. Another movie that the best scene in it is, is Julianne and Amy together. Yes, hundred um, percent. I Woman in the Window is going to be one that, while I don't think it's a good movie, I will have a lot. We'll of have a fun time talking about that. Wait, yeah, all right. We'll so Adam, we'll uh, so yes, I brought you. A, I brought you a very, a very quick, uh, I, mostly very easy game. Uh, I am going to read you the first line of a movie musical. Oh, okay. Uh, name the movie for three points. Uh, if you don't get it, second the first line, line from the movie version. Of from it, the right? movie version, yeah. So which okay. is which, oh. which might which might screw you up. Okay. Um, uh, and it's a, line, is this points. a shout out or is this a take a turn? Uh, take a turn. I'm gonna, okay. gonna alternate. Uh, first okay. line three points. Second line two points. Uh, then I'll give you the year for one point. All right. All right. Um, Are we keeping our own scores? Uh, I can keep your scores. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, Chris. I have a dream, a song to sing. Mamma Mia. Yes. There you go. Joe. Yes. Are you blind when you're born? <laughs> oh, that is cats. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Chris. Oh, oh, oh. Hairspray. Wow. Get the fuck out of here. I'm so screwed. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Joe. Yes. Whoa, oh, 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 oh. Oh, for fuck's sake. Similar, Wait, so I need to get the qualitative differences between oh, 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 and uh, 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 do it again? Whoa, oh, 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 oh. Oh, fuck. I need the second line. Ladies and gents, this, this is the moment you've waited for. Oh, my God, the greatest showman. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that, like, I know okay, you know. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Chris. This is very Pat Kiernan, by the way. Remember when Pat Kiernan uh-huh. at trivia would do the song lyrics but speak them in the very Pat Kiernan monotone? It's really hard to do with no inflection. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, and these are these are like literally first first lines of the movie. So some of them are spoken like this one. On the 23rd day of the month of September, in an early year of a decade, not too long before our own. Little Shop of Horrors, baby. Yes. Nice. I'm mad about this one. Joe, five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. All right, come on. Like, I, I th- this feels like charity, but uh, yeah, this is rent. Okay, but they changed it. Yeah, in the in the in the show, it's September twenty-fourth, nine p.m. Yes, which I also joke. would have gotten. The two dates was going to be a joke, but then I actually checked yeah. it and I was like, oh damn it, they moved the number to the beginning. <laughs> All right, Chris, I have sailed the world, beheld its wonders. Sweetie Todd, Very the demon good. barber. Ooh, oh, that one might stump you. Nice. What does stump me? Okay, how about this one, Joe? Sold. Your number, sir. Thank you. Lot 663, then, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. yes. All right. Uh, this one's hard, Chris, but I think you know it. Okay, one more time from the top. Six beats, all right? <gasps> I do know this, but I don't have it right there. I think I know this. Maybe. Can you say it again? Okay, one more time from the top. Six beats, all right? Is it a chorus line? No. Oh, that would have been my guess. Okay, I would have been wrong. Okay. Do you want second Uh, line? Yeah. To be on the wire is life. The rest is waiting. 
Oh god, wait, I know this. I still would have guessed a chorus line based on that one too. <laughs> no, because chorus line it's we're all on the line now. Um to be on the wire wait, say that say the actual line. To be on the wire is life, the rest is waiting. Wire, not line. Yeah. Um Oh no, this is gonna be embarrassing because I know this. Um the wire, it's like not a trapeze, but what's a musical where I don't know, I might need the year. You'll get it from the year, nineteen seventy nine. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, you maybe won't. Late seventies musical. I mean, chorus line would have been relatively close, because um, that's mid eighties. Um, I have a guess based on the year, but I don't know for sure. <clears throat> I mean, it's not all that. Seventy nine is all that jazz, but this isn't all that jazz. Is that a guess? Is that all that jazz? All that jazz. Yeah, that would have been Fuck. a guess based on the year. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry, listeners. I'm feeling very expletive. About, I love all that jazz so much. <laughs> yeah, um, that's why. I, that's why I fucking know it. Why did I think that there's a there's like music playing in the background and then the it's showtime, folks? Is the first it's later. Line it's it's. I thought so too. It's it starts with a with him and uh, just calling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Okay, Joe. This one's hard, but I know that you know this movie. Okay. Father, sister, dearest voices, I have found you, and I don't know how. I know this. This is camp. This is yeah. my beloved camp. Good yes. Job. Yeah. How shall I see you through my tears? Yeah. I don't like that Joe is ahead of me. Ah! Uh, only by one. Uh, and but Chris, <laughs> this is absolutely the hardest one in the game. Oh no. Okay. Say Jones and Barrier doing a show. Okay. Say Jones and Barry are doing a show. Jones and Barry who. Uh, give me the second line. Well, of course I'm not a lawyer. I'm in the kitty car business. I don't know much about contracts. <laughs> is it the producers? It's not the producers. Your year is 1933. Whoa! Oh, okay. It's 42nd it Street. 42nd Street. Whoa! Okay. Joe? Yes? Five, six, seven, eight. Is this a chorus line? <laughs> it is not a chorus line. No! Oh, I know what this is. Anybody Five, seen six, the Kelly seven. sisters? Oh, Chicago. Yes. There we go. I I I, I jumped at uh, too soon. All right. At some point, I'm going to have to look up what the goddamn first line in a chorus line is. Uh, well, would you like our tiebreaker for shits and giggles? Sure, yes. Is it a chorus line? Pivot step, walk, walk, walk. There we go. Okay. Chorus yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> I said it first. All right. Thank you, Adam. That was super fun. Now I'm going to, I, I will, we'll have you I on and you'll have to get us a sequel. I have a, I have a whole list. So, I was going to uh, say. So yeah, yeah. Joe is our winner, 16 to 14. Very well played, both of you. Woohoo. And Chris did get by far the more challenging ones. So I will, uh, if, if, if I got Chris's questions and Chris got mine, Chris would have kicked my ass in that one. So, uh, <laughs> uh, for sure. All right. That was very fun, though. I want to get into a little bit of the, uh, um, 
Well, you know, okay, this is our only our second Amy Adams, so we should probably maybe devote a little bit more time to her, even though I do think she's ill-served by this, and I don't think she's very good in this at all. Yeah, but. I feel like both of the headlining Oscar-y actresses in this movie felt some type of, like, connection to the material, yeah. and took these roles that not only are they not very big roles, I mean, one of them won a Tony on the stage, so... Right, that's the thing. But, like, they don't serve them. They're not really right for it. I mean, Amy Adams, I like I said earlier, she's, like, kind of an alien, but, like, Amy Adams is just tasked to, like, project so much of I want to believe something good that it's just, like, yeah. it, it makes her seem a little... I don't... It's, it's, it's a little bizarre, and... It's not her fault that I don't think it's necessarily a great performance. I just don't think she should have taken that one. It's I don't enjoy any of her scenes. It's but it's one of those things where you're right. Like uh, the 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 real puzzling part is that she took the role at all because by this point mm-hmm. she's she's already a six time Oscar nominee by this point. So like the narrative for Amy Adams by this point, especially among people that we exist around and us, you know, we are not exempt from the problem here, but we tend to now interpret every further Amy Adams role as being like, is this going to be the one? And there was such puzzlement when she, when it was announced that Amy Adams was going to be in Dear Evan Hansen because everybody was like, huh, as Connor, as Connor's mom, rather than like, because uh, like you said, like the Tony winning role in, in the show is not that one. Like, that's the one that Julianne Moore is. And so, like, clearly people were like, are they going to write her a song? Are they going to write her sort of like a full song? What is in this movie that would draw Amy Adams to it if it's not going to win her this Oscar? Because all of us are saying, through our obsession, is every single thing that Amy Adams does in her career should be with the goal of getting herself this elusive Oscar. And it's not. Sometimes she just wants to do a movie. Um... But either you can also tell that she might be on a certain thread of as a performer wanting to explore certain types of themes. A lot of her this stage of her career is a lot about complicated parent child relationships or circumstances. You know, you think of Hillbilly Elegy, which is another one that like you can see how maybe she had some good intentions in wanting to play that character in a movie that ends up being a piece of shit. Um, And she can (laughs) say that is an actual product for evil. Yes. um, Oh, like this is not. I I, I do feel like at some point Ron Howard needs to reckon with the fact that he brought that to the screen and and made Netflix made, needs to and made Netflix that man needs to. made that man palatable to to more people. Netflix than is what palatable. funded that awful. We man. can't like I know we can't get too far. We can't down get that into line. it. We can't get. But into the it. thing about Amy um, Adams is that like she has she can sing. It's not like she's like one of our greatest singers, but like I like her singing in the Enchanted movies. I saw her do uh, Into the Woods at in the park, and I thought she was quite good as the Baker's wife in that. Again. Who are maybe alone in saying that. I think other people have also her. liked her. She was fine that? enough that they didn't need to cut anybody got a map from this movie. <laughs> 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 they could have auto-tuned her, it would have been fine. Yeah. I mean, I think another one of the roles of, like, people forget that this happened, but it happened recently. It's a five-year-old show. Another one where it's, like, complicated parent-child dynamics and circumstances is Sharp Objects, which I thought was, if not the best performance of her career one of the best performances of her career. And people dog on Amy Adams like that show never even happened. And it's like, I know you all watched the that problem, show. I know you all thought she was great in the show. The problem with Sharp Objects is it was a 
July premiere, which meant it had to wait an entire year for Emmy nominations. And by that point, other things had sort of cut it in line. People also treated it like it was in the shadow of Big Little Lies, even though it is a very, very different show. Um, She's tremendous in it. Again, I think it's one of the best performances she's ever given. Another one where they shouldn't have cut the musical number, though. Yes. Um, (laughs) Scars, scars, Right, Patricia Clarkson comes down the stairs Ah! in full anti-mame going, all these sharp (laughs) objects. Um. Back to Ben Platt for half a second, because I wanted to get both of your opinions on this. Uh, because I I imagine both of you have more of an experience with this show than I do. Ben Platt cast uh, in January 2020 in the Richard Linkletter many years uh, in in the making project for Merrily We Roll Along, which is going to be now him. Now it's Paul Mescal. Mescal, I think, is how we're supposed to pronounce it. Even though yes, I'm sorry, fighting my own. My mistake. No, me too. I've been I've been pronouncing it like the tequila as well. Um, but apparently it's Mescal. And then who's the who's the female star? Beanie it? Feldstein. It's Beanie, right? Okay. And they haven't gotten far enough for the next tier female lead. I'm pretty sure okay. they've only shot one sequence. I'm also pretty sure this movie is never going to be completed. Right. Well, Richard on, Linklater will quite possibly knock die on wood, before Knock on wood for for uh, long long standing health for Richard Linklater. Although, we love him. Right. If they're following like the regular script of Merrily Roll Along, once again, it begins when those characters are I want to say 23, 24, so they're already too late. Yeah. So they may have shot a couple scenes, right? If they're not actually being completely right. accurate. So wait. So you, I want to hear from both of you. Do we like this casting of Ben Platt in this? Do we not like this casting? I do like this casting. I I, I don't. Um, All right. You also good mean, old fashioned I, debate. He's playing. He's playing Charlie, right? I like it if you know the take on the material is that. Charlie maybe has a romantic affection towards Franklin as well. Um, I've certainly, you know, seen that as a valid way to perform that role. Um, I just don't... I think you need a comedic actor in that role, frankly. Um, Because when he gets to Good Thing Going, his big emotional number, you're going to expect that from that performer. Part of the reason why it's such a gut punch is, like, you should have a comedic actor in that role that's not going to, you know... (laughs) <laughs> give you the gut punch um i don't know i i also just i'll believe that movie is real when i see right. it in 25 that's years that's the bigger point i mean yeah that's a fair <laughs> point i i i like ben platt a lot uh as a performer i don't think he has the most range uh and it's true he's he's not the most convincing heterosexual uh on stage and and you know i mean charlie is you know charlie is married with children and it's a it's a it's a friendship story. It's a it's it's about a deep love between two friends, um, and I think you kind of do have to not think that either of them is gay actually for it to for it to read. Um, so that is that is kind of a good point. Um, I don't know. I I'm interested uh, in seeing him do it. I think he'll sing it well. I I I've seen him in Parade that he's in right now, and I actually thought he was great. In it, um, is he going to so, win another Tony? What's happen- What's going to happen uh, with pro- that? Uh, probably. I think he's I mean, miscast for that too. He's certainly. He's certainly up for it. You think what? I think he's miscast in that role too. But yeah, I but then I saw it, and and I thought he was great. And like you sort of look at pictures of the actual Leo Frank, like the original Broadway cast was phenomenal, but they were actually both too old. 
um just if you're going by realism which i don't think you have to you know it's like the the biopic problem of like right you don't have to stick makeup on everybody to make them look like the real people it's fine um <laughs> but like right he was he is the age that leo frank was and uh i thought he was great and i i was not necessarily expecting that and i i came away mm. from it with actually a lot of respect for him uh to do something that i didn't necessarily think he like the dramatic acting side of it i knew he could sing it but i i thought he was really terrific in it so so yeah, I mean, I'm interested, but yeah, but like you, Chris, I'm skeptical that it will ever actually get finished. Am I the only one of the three of us who saw the people we hate at the wedding? No, you're not. I also saw it. Did you like I'm it? Not. I did. I love the women who wrote that movie, both yes. uh, Bob's Burgers and uh, Great North uh, writers. I I did not like the performances <laughs> in that movie. I think there is a challenge to playing quote-unquote unlikable characters who we also have to want to watch a movie about that I don't think he, in particular, was all that good at walking that line. And um, it's another, it's, it's, it's sort of adjacent to some of the issues that I have with Theater Camp, which was the Sundance movie that I saw I him in, that I'm excited to see what other people make of it, because that is a movie I found very funny, and I really enjoyed watching it, but the, my problem in the movie uh, focuses specifically on Ben's character and also Noah Galvin's character, and the way that the movie sort of engineers itself to center the two of them mm. at, at, at different moments in a way that I didn't really love. Um but I enjoyed the experience of watching the movie, and I will be interested to see how that movie ends up getting received, because I can see people really enjoying it, and I can see people really hating it. And um, Camp is still better. <laughs> so oh. in terms of a movie about Stage Door Manor, uh, Camp is still better. So, um, All right, before we get into IMDb game, I just want to note... This movie got four Razzie nominations. Dear Evan Hansen got four Razzie nominations. Who Razzies? These are like the this year though the Razzies are nominating movies that again because of the pandemic they're nominating like TV movies like uh, Taron Manning as Karen. Okay, anybody remembers that? Day I do kind of remember Taron Manning. Taron Manning as Karen. Here's the thing about the Razzies though is that like. Even when I start to be like, okay, like, worst actor Ben Platt, I can get behind it. Worst supporting actress Amy Adams, I don't think she's good in this movie, so whatever. Worst director, we've all talked about how we didn't think Chabosky directed it very well. But then it's like, worst screen couple, Ben Platt and any other character who acts like Platt singing 24-7 is normal. It's a fucking musical. They get all the fuck over it. Fuck the Razzies. You unimaginative dorks, like Jesus Christ. Like, it's a musical. Shut the it's fuck up. It's a whole legitimate genre of yeah. movie. <laughs> It's so fucking stupid. Are you going to say that about The Wizard of Oz? Fuck off. Um, <laughs> that Ben Platt shouldn't have broken into song in the middle of the, the 1930s Wizard of Oz? Yes, yes, I will say I that. mean, he is a former Lollipop Guild member. Well, um, <laughs> card-carrying member, yeah. He'd probably make yeah. a good Tin Man. Honestly, I mean, of the three of them, yes, I would rather see him do the Tin Man than the Scarecrow. Um, I don't know why I just uh, so definitively said that. I didn't give that more than half of a second's thought, but maybe it's I true. mean, he does, like, unhinge his jaw his jaw and howl as evidence oh, in this movie, so maybe he should be the He'd rust lion. so readily with how uh, how often he, uh, he, he cries <laughs> during his musical performances, though, so, like, maybe that would be... Um, all right, also... That's, the... why, that's why his mouth is rusted shut at the beginning when Dorothy finds him, yeah. because he was sobbing so much... Um, 
We also have the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. We only tend to really talk about when they're talking about a movie negatively. I'm sure they also have like positive awards mm-hmm. that they give out. But uh, Amy Adams was part of their She Deserves a New Agent Award for this Jeez, and The Woman in the Window. Not for like, bad images on film because he gaslights and has sex with this female character in it. But to dog on Amy Adams. Amy Adams, I know. So mean. She did lose to Melissa McCarthy for The Starling, which uh, maybe have a point. You maybe have a point there. But was this the year without a Golden Globes? Uh, There was never a year without a Golden Globes, but like the 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 ceremony did not happen. Right. Yeah. It's in addition to this not being a kind year to movie musicals. uh, The Globes did not nominate this. That's what I mean. It's so shocking to me. That yeah, this didn't even get a Globes nomination. What were the Globes nominations? Like there's there's two new songs that weren't in the stage version. There's the Globes, um, even in in the Heights, only gets a Best Actor in a movie. That's true. That's right. Yes, musical or comedy. They went all in on uh, West Side Story. West Side Story wins. Yes, well, but sure. like the thing yeah. about this year in relationship to musicals is like West Side Story famously struggled to make any money. Right. The other nominees were Tick, Tick, Boom, the one that I think, you know, fared well in this season. Yeah. Don't Look Up, Cyrano. Yikes. I, yes. I Everyone like remembers Cyrano. Cyrano. I liked Cyrano. Yeah. I thought that movie, I loved, you know I love Joe Wright. Um, at least people in that movie can sing, but I thought that movie sucked. It's deeply, it it's was... deeply weird, but I, once I sort of got into the rhythms of it, I really It's not weird it. enough. I didn't see it, I can't comment, but until you just mentioned it, I forgot that it existed, so. Well, it also was a thing where it released so far late into last year they that a lot of people it count it for it this year, and... because it didn't open, it didn't open in New York until well into 2022. Um, wait, so the two new songs. They had a qualifying run, though. But then its actual release wasn't until right, like, but April. It shows up on a lot of people's top tens. So it's like journalists aren't beholden to those rules. So like it showed up on quite a few people's top tens this year for 2022, actually. Um, those people are nuts. I support it. Okay, but so the new the songs written specifically for the Dear Evan Hansen movie were um the Amanda Stenberg song, which right. title I can't remember. Uh, it's called uh no, it's the invisible one. Yes, invisible one disappears. The original that it replaced, um, which is co-written by Pasek and Paul and Amanda Stenberg. Yes, and then Connor's song at the end that that he does on video. Um, that right. entire thing of of Evan. So Evan Evan confessing uh, via TikTok or whatever is um is an invention of the movie. Um, gotcha. And on stage, the the rest IG of the world Live. does not find out. Um, that he does it, yes, I, I do think it's 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 yeah. IG Live, um, and and then in the play, in the scene he has at the end with um, with Zoe, you know, he mentions that he found this list of Connor's favorite books from eighth grade, and he's been reading them. Um, mm-hmm. In the movie, it's this montage of him actually doing that and also tracking down people who who knew Connor for real. Um, and hey, Connor, for real. <laughs> Connor for real, I heard it too. Yep, 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 yep. We're, we're, we're. Watch out! Watch out! And finding this video of of Connor performing a song that he wrote, uh, like in group therapy, um, yeah. and that that underscores this whole montage of of Evan like doing this detective work, which then leads up to the orchid yeah. scene, um, in which also he explicitly apologizes to Zoe, which he does not do in the play. Either. Right, right, yes. Right. Um, the rest um, of the scene is pretty much the same. But I thought that, like, clearly to me at least, the one that they were probably positioning for. Awards attention, song-wise, is the anonymous ones, which they could have also then sort of, you know, add Amanda Stenberg to that campaign and, um, you know, an actor, uh, uh, 
writing the song would have had another angle to it. It does not get any traction because that movie was uh, really, truly nobody wanted to keep talking about that movie as we moved into award season. But looking at the five songs that were nominated, um, uh, No Time to Die wins from uh, from the movie No Time to Die, Billie Eilish and Phineas. Good song. Uh, but it existed for like two years. Right. Uh, Encanto nominates, we've talked about this before, Encanto the nominates song. the wrong song, Dos Sorgitas, and uh, instead of... Uh, um, we don't talk about Bruno. If they had only known, they absolutely would have won the Oscar for Best Original Song if they nominate Bruno. Um, uh, Diane Warren's uh, Somehow You Do, performed by Reba McIntyre from the movie Four Good Days that everybody saw and remembers incredibly clearly. Uh, Beyonce's Be Alive from King Richard, which opened the Oscar ceremony and then was definitely the thing about King Richard that everybody talked about at the end of the Oscar ceremony. And... Uh, uh, Chris's uh, nemesis, Van Morrison, uh, his song Down to Joy from Belfast. The virulently anti-vax Van Morrison. Uh, how many of those songs would you have replaced with uh, uh, the anonymous ones? If, if, if that's your only choice. If your only choice is that song or the anonymous ones, how many of them would you replace? The Van Morrison song. Just the Van Morrison song. You keep Reba. You keep Reba and Diane Warren. Reba performs that song well. I mean, I, okay. That's no, no I'm not saying not, I'm not being incredulous. I'm just making sure that, even like, though yeah. that movie really didn't exist, that's not one of the bad Diane Warren nominations. I it's better say. than As the one from Tell It Like a Woman. To all of those songs and write about them. Yeah, it's better it's than the one from that. Tell It Like a Woman. Applause from Tell It Like a Woman is 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 pretty bad, and they performed that one twice over the end credits of that song. They perform it and then they perform yes. it again, and it's deeply strange. Um, Adam, of those that you are familiar with. I honestly don't remember any of them. Okay. Except for the Encanto one. So I really (laughs) cannot. And I, I mean, I remember the, sort of remember the Beyonce opening from the ceremony from watching it, but like vaguely. It's not, I will say, at the risk of incurring wrath, I don't think, as a Beyonce song goes, it's not a very good No, I just remember like the performance being visually cool, but like I couldn't tell you a thing about the song. Listen, everybody was dressed like tennis balls. That was very cool. That was very fun. We all liked it. Yes. Uh. Uh, but I also just I, I I texted you when I was watching the movie yesterday, and then I forgot about it all over again. That the dreadful cover of "You Will Be Found" over the end credits by yes. Sam Smith, and I'm not a Sam Smith hater, but truly one of the they worst things I have ever heard. The credits, oh, they the do tempo. well. The, the Dear Evan so Hansen slow. movie soundtrack had like a bunch of different people covering certain songs from the show. Like SZA does uh, a version of the anonymous ones. Carrie That's Underwood. Also over the credits. Carrie Underwood does Only Us. Uh, Tori Kelly does Waving Through a Window. Like, this is all on the soundtrack album for uh, the movie to sort of, like, pad it out, I guess. And to, I guess, give opportunity for a tie-in single had the movie been successful, which it was not. Anyway, yeah. I mean, like, I have that Greatest Showman covers album. Oh, yeah. Like, there are good ones in that one. I mean, that's worth it for Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Give me Kelly Clarkson singing, you'll be found. I'll be very happy. But it's also, yeah. it's just, it's the arrangement. It's the tempo. She's it's definitely not... done that on Kelly Oki. Must have. Maybe not now. Yeah. I would imagine. All right. We are, we are getting to the point where we need to do this IMDb game. But Adam, before we're done, anything else about this movie that you want to uh, get off your chest? Oh, let me look at my notes. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> But like, uh, so I'm actually like, uh, I'm never happy when a you know Broadway show closes and people are out of work. But I, I am eager to see the show get licensed and like new productions and like high school production. You know, some some drama teacher out there is gonna be like, I have one kid, 
I have one kid who can sing. We're going to do Dear Evan Hansen, right? Like, yeah. I, I actually think that might be amazing to see new yeah. productions. And I, you know, I, I, I nitpick because it's what I do. But, like, I, I do like the show. I understand it's problematic. I, but I, yeah, you know, I Pascal and Paul's music is deeply manipulative and it gets me and it does it works on me more than i would uh, i would like to admit that i can't does, like recommend sure. this movie to anybody but right i think if right. there's like a regional <laughs> production of the show out there somewhere near you you know go check yeah, it out give it a go um, um if you can find somebody who uh uh is not already in a relationship with somebody who is a dear evan hansen who, who is an evan hansen um <laughs> we can cast somebody new in the role of evan hansen yes the, the greatest matchmaking tool in the history of broadway um Chris, do you want to explain what the IMDb game is? I do. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints exactly all right adam as our guest you get the choice to either guess or give first and uh which direction you would like this uh game to go in uh let me guess first and get it over with because okay i'm gonna be bad <laughs> and and uh you you guys pick i don't doesn't matter okay um i can give to you for mine i feel like um i'm worried now that we maybe picked the same one so if if Uh-oh. the one that I picked is the one that you picked, then I'll give to Chris. Um, but I went through the uh, the Tony nominees of the Dear Evan Hansen year. Uh, one of the people who Ben Platt defeated in his category for Best uh, Leading Actor in a Musical was David Hyde Pierce, who was in uh, Hello, Dolly. And so there are four known for for David Hyde Pierce, one of which is a television show, one of which is a voice performance. Is that the one that you picked? No, I went a okay, good. Route, but I didn't look at him at all. So okay, good. So uh, so you guessed these four. Okay, so Frasier. Yes, Frasier is the television show. Okay, wouldn't it be a gag? It would be a gag. Yes, it would be. Um, okay, the voice. Um, he's done a lot of voice work. Yes, he has a very distinctive voice. Uh. It is movie voice work, so it is not him right. as Sideshow Bob's brother on The Simpsons episode, oh, yeah. even though he's very good in that one. He's very good in that. Uh, yeah. Only because I just watched it, uh, but it's probably not this. Is it Treasure Planet? It's not Treasure Planet. Okay. That is strike one. It's not far off. Okay, I'm not sure that helps. Um, uh, all right, let's go back to the other stuff. Uh, uh, like, like my mind is emptied of movies he has been in. Uh, the Host. Uh No. Not the host. Which one is the host? Uh, it's that movie where he's a host. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's not the Stephanie Meyer, not Twilight movie no, with Saoirse Ronan. No, it's like a. It's definitely not the Bong Joon Ho film. No, it's like a. It's like a. It's like an evil dinner party or something. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. now you get. Uh, you've got two wrongs, so you've got years. Okay, so your years are nineteen ninety eight, two thousand one, and two thousand three. Ninety eight is the voice. Yeah, ninety eight is the is the which is why I was like, it's pretty close to Treasure Planet. Um, Is it Atlantis? Not Atlantis. It's a Pixar movie. Pixar. Okay. Is he is he in a Toy Story? He's not in a Toy Story, is he? He's not in a Toy Story. It's Pixar ninety eight. 
98 is pretty early for Pixar. Yeah, that's why that's why I thought Toy Story. Um, what's the one? Oh, I'm so bad at this. Um, he's speaking not, of Kevin Spacey. He's, yeah, yes, Kevin Spacey's a voice in this. He's not the lead. David Hyde Pierce is not the lead. I'm trying to remember what is he like the the sidekick in this, Chris? Oh, I'm just now remembering who the lead is. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure because I haven't seen this in a very long time. It's been time. a while. Yeah. Kevin Spacey is the villain, I will say. There's also uh-huh. another, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm going to actually pull this up. There's another voice talent who is also someone very famous for TV. Yes, I am correct about that. Yes, as the female lead. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The male lead is also famous for TV. There's a lot of TV people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, This is an animated movie that had another animated movie that was very similar concept at about the same time. The DreamWorks did at the exact same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Of course. It's um, it's a bug's life. It's a bug's life. Yes. 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 He voices Uh, Slim. I guess he's the stick bug, right? That's the he's the he's the sort of persnickety. Imagine David Hyde Pierce playing a persnickety. a uh, bug in the yeah, bug's life. Okay, so your other two are both comedies. One of which is they're both sort of enduringly popular now. Kind of uh, a little bit surprising. Both cult so. comedies. Yes, both cult comedies. One of which I am so I will always tell you I was on the ground level uh, of the fandom for this movie. Um, me? I'm so happy that people love it. But uh, yeah, me too. We got a real one right here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they're both very different though comedies. One is sort of this like pastiche, uh, very uh, uh, design heavy comedy concepty comedy and the other one is also very concepty actually but in like very different way and like a huge ensemble comedy that he is this was a real cult comedy too yeah i'm pretty sure you've seen them both adam although i couldn't swear to it what were the years oh one and oh three oh one has had a couple uh, of TV uh, extensions. Sequels. Yes. Yeah, extensions. Huh. In the form of, like, TV series. Like, in t- forms of, like, two limited series uh, sequels. Which, was David Hyde Pierce in the extensions? Oh, oh, oh I yeah, no, I... he was one of the ones who wasn't. I got it. Uh, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Wet Hot American Summer. I yes. don't believe he's in the TV extensions. I don't think so. But anyway. Yes, Wet Hot American Summer. He's very funny in that. He's he is very uh, funny the, uh, the the science professor. Yes. All right. The uh, other I think one. He was in one of them. I think he was in the first TV, the, not the second one. The O three. He is uh, a persnickety sidekick yep, sure. again. Uh, who? What I also love about this movie, um, he has a love story that uh, his female counterpart in the movie uh, is also queer as well in real life. Yes. The the, the sort in of the meta joke yes. of the casting is that. Mm-hmm. He and you have a gay man and a lesbian, and in a sidekick playing a, yes. a, the the B love story yes. of this movie. Yes, in a way that reflected like the reality of the thing that the pastiche it's doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've seen this, but is it is this a is, um. Is it Down With Love? Is that it's Down With Love. It's Down With Love. Yeah, oh, you really like it. If you it. haven't seen it, Adam, you have to watch it today. It's on my list. Really like BB's it. in yeah. it too, right? I'm pretty sure, yes. Isn't yeah. she like the boss? Isn't she Renee's boss? She's the mean boss, I think, yeah. I think so, It's yes. been on my list forever. Uh, yes. It's it's really delightful. I think you would very much enjoy it. It's a banger. It's yes. a great movie. Um, 
Right, PB North is in this. Maybe I'm, I'm not seeing. Ah, uh, I don't think I could be thinking so. Of, we might be thinking of definitely wait, other is she, theater actors. Is BB Newworth or uh, Kate Hudson's boss on How to Lose a Guy in that's Ten what, Days? I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I think that's maybe yeah. what. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway. I'm glad we figured that out. All right. Good job, Adam. Very well done. That terrible job, but thank you. Thank <laughs> no, you for all your help. <laughs> all right. So you give to Chris. Okay. Uh, so uh, I had I have I had. My, my, well, let's just say it because you might have looked at this already. Uh, so I have a backup. Um, but the winner of the Best Actress Tony Award, uh, the year Dear Evan Hansen, was Laurie Metcalf. I was shocked that she wasn't on the list. Uh, so Laurie Metcalf, there is one TV and one voice. Ah. Uh, well, the voice is Andy's mom in Toy Story. In uh, which Toy Story? Toy Story, the first Toy Story. In Toy Story. Okay. Um, Lady Bird is definitely on there. Yeah. Even though it's recent. Okay, if there was somebody, it might have been John Goodman. There was somebody that the Connors was on there and Roseanne wasn't, which was psycho. But I am going to say Roseanne. Correct. Okay, thank God. Yes. Um, am I going to get... for three. We can't... We perfect can't, score possible. Every time we do this, that they're like, you could get a perfect score, Chris. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, Though I, I, I do feel strongly, even if I'm wrong, we need to bring justice to this. Uh, is her fourth one Scream 2? It is. Perfect Congratulations. Story. That was what I thought you were going to get. Yeah. Congratulations, Chris. Thank you. Well done. All right. My, my backup was Andy McDowell because of Groundhog Day, but I was afraid that you had just looked at her <laughs> for the, uh, the Magic Mike episode. For Magic Mike, yeah. Well wow, done, Wow, on Andy McDowell's known for is just her pronunciation of the word damn in Magic Mike Double XL. All right, what do you have for me, Christopher? For you, I actually went into the Pitch Perfect cast. Um Notedly, the debut, I believe, of Mr. Ben Platt. Uh, and for you, of the Pitch Perfect cast, Joe, I chose Brittany Snow. It's funny that you we keep mentioning Pitch Perfect. I'm rewatching. I just rewatched uh, Drag Race All Stars two recently, so I was like, "What do I go into next?" And so now I'm watching season eight, the second episode of which is called Bitch Perfect because it's a Pitch Perfect <laughs> parody challenge. Season um, so every time. So good. Every time we have said, that's why I want to go back, and it's been forever since I've watched. But I want this why uh, every time we've said Pitch Perfect in my head, it's like Bitch Perfect. All right, season um, eight is so good, but it does feel like they're overcompensating from season seven being so boring and bad. Sure, that sometimes yes. like it can feel a little much, not on the queen side, but on a production side. Uh huh. Uh huh. I get you. All right, uh, Brittany Snow. You said Brittany Snow, the great Any television. Brittany Snow. We should say any television. No television. So no American dreams. No. Um, well, pitch perfect. Pitch perfect. Correct. Okay. Um, hairspray, as everybody from hairspray. hairspray. Correct. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty sure everyone on the poster of hairspray has it in the uh-huh. room before. Yep. All right. What oh. if everybody on the poster of hairspray had it in their known for except Nikki Blonsky? <laughs> from the that's why she has to remind everybody it's all it's all her uh cameos like it's <laughs> it's four separate cameos some of those cameos are even more iconic than her honestly Tracy kind of all right uh is pitch perfect two one of them for britney pitch Smith? perfect two correct doing well maybe we'll get two perfect scores on here. it would be it would you would be the person to give me somebody who had like three sequels to a thing on the assumption that i wouldn't guess that and that would be your diabolical uh, way of getting <laughs> to me but i'm not gonna guess pitch perfect three yet but what else i don't think most people remember there was a third pitch perfect i'm trying to think of like anything else that i can think of britney snow in it's like 
she was on Crazy Ex Girlfriend, but like it's that's television. And you know what Pitch Perfect Two was good for? Haley Steinfeld and the original song sung by Haley Steinfeld and Jesse J. Spotlight. Agreed. Good song. Not my not my <laughs> shut up. Not Joe my jam. Reed. Not my thing. Um, I wish listeners could have seen the face that Joe just made. <laughs> No. Okay. Uh, Shut up, Joe. No. All right. So you have no wrong guesses. I can't. I know, but there's no way because, like, I I'm generally, genuinely having a hard time conjuring. Oh wait, no. Is it X? It is not X. The one thing I liked about that movie, she. I liked her too. She is fucking rad in that I like movie, her. but that movie yeah. sucks. The people that are all about Mia Goth in these Ty West movies, I, I can't abide. I it. liked X, and then like every day that passed after X, I liked it in my memory a little bit less, until now I'm just like, yeah, I don't think yeah, I liked I X. Um, um, Alright, so that's one strike. Britney Snow rules in X, though. I am gonna throw away a guess and just say Pitch Perfect 3, and then I can uh, move That on. is incorrect. Your yeah. year is 2008, the year after Hairspray. 2008. What was going on in the You're going to need to pivot genres away from the musicals. You to were on drama? the right path with guessing X, though. So a horror movie. Oh, is she in um, My Bloody Valentine? I believe that was after 2008. That is not the movie, but you are Prom getting night? warmer. Prom Night? Prom night, the prom there night we go. remake. I knew it was one of those. I knew it was yeah, one of those two. It's okay. a horror remake. Okay. Woo. All right. Very well done. I say to myself. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my little affirmation that I'm going to give to myself after IMDb games where I struggle. Okay. Um, that's our episode. Uh, Adam, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you so uh, at long me. last. It's a delight. We have broken the seal on 2021. We'll soon. see what. Uh, yes. Come back soon. We'll talk about another musical and. Uh, uh, have a good old time. Uh, listeners, if you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. Adam, where can the listeners find you and anything else you are putting forth into the world? Well, uh, as you mentioned 17 hours ago, uh, I am <laughs> one of the co-hosts of the podcast Muppeturgy. Yes. We are watching and recapping uh, The Muppet Show on Disney Plus. Uh, we we get nerdy and pedantic and uh, do a lot of research to contextualize the late 70s and, you know, all about the songs and what else was on TV the night that the shows originally aired and in the news. And uh, we have a lot of fun. I think um, we are wrapping up our third season now. Um, so you can find us at Muppeturgy.com and anywhere you get podcasts and on all the social medias at Muppeturgy. Uh, you can find me on all the social medias at Adam807. I am also on Letterboxd. You can judge my terrible taste and how far behind I am in movies. Uh, and yeah. All right. Well, if done. I don't see a uh, down with love log today, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff and your uh, the logs of uh, movies that you are watching? You can find me streaming the Pitch Perfect Two original song Spotlight on Twitter and Letterbox <laughs> at Chris V File. All right. I am on Twitter uh, and also Letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So quit waving through that damn window and write us a nice review. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.